This podcast is brought to you by the team at New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Remember to get your hands on the latest issue from your favourite retailer or subscribe now at nztrucking.co.nz. Keep on moving. The official podcast of New Zealand Trucking Media. Here's Dave McCoyd and Murray Lindsay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our second podcast of 2022. Keep on moving. And a big hello to the editorial director of New Zealand Trucking Media, Dave McCoyd. Now, Dave, what have you been up to today? You and Gab have been on the road doing what? Mate, we've been hard into it, doing uh, working on the cover feature for the next issue uh the april issue yep we were up at uh 3 a.m 3 a.m this morning we ch- chased a truck to Turingi, came back to thames honor our broadcasting commitments with your good self how are you muzz all right oh i'm good mate so it was, it's good to know what you get up to other than opening thousands of emails <laughs> yeah well yeah absolutely yep yep and i won't say anything about that because you know if you said something yeah i sit in the passenger seat and open emails because gab does the drive yeah, well, there's lots in the podcast again this month, and the feature interview is with uh, Trevor Masters. He's actually from your neck of the woods, Dave, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. Uh, TML is the company, Trevor Masters Limited. Uh, yep, and it's a uh, an old Thames business, and a, a really lovely interview for me, a personal one, because Trevor's a local carrier, and he was one of the carriers when I was growing up as a kid, and someone you always looked up to, and a fantastic mentor to, to one and many. And, uh, yeah, it was a neat interview to do because he's got a great story. Great story. Oh, that's a brilliant tease. Just leave it right there, mate. Leave it right there. Again, this month, we're off to Aussie with Mike Williams uh, and the Kangaroo Perspective. We've got Will Shires in England who no longer has COVID, which is the good news. Unless he's got a bloody variant we haven't heard about yet, like Willicron or something. I'm bugging Well, he's, he's not doing it from his car this time, though. That's the no. bonus, right? I will also look at the new edition of Little Trucker magazine because it's a new one out. Uh, plus, we'll chat with the boys from the industry. And uh, the, you've got the news on the big rig of the year, haven't you, which we're going to talk about but later on, too. Yeah, what a story that's been. What a story that's been. All right. Yeah. First things first, beautiful noise from last month. Dave, what was it and who was our winner? Okay, our winner, what was it, was the first question you asked. The, yep. It was a V8 Scania, and I got a lot of entries uh, saying V8 Mac, but, um, and it's really interesting because I, when I heard the recording, when I did the recording, I was like, far out, that's like the, the, the microphone picks up. I'd ha- I'm going to be interested to hear what a V8 Mac sounds like through the mic because the Scania sounded, obviously a Scania is a very quiet truck inside, but it was really sounded like, and I could see why people went there. But the thing that really gave it away was the speed of the gear changes. Those OptiCruise AMT gear changes were so slick. 
And uh, but it didn't fool Kevin Clotworthy, who uh, who came to us with a with a V eight Scania answer. And so yeah, he's the winner for the for the month. Oh, congratulations! And uh, he gets a year sub uh, to New Zealand Trucking Magazine, right? Yeah, he does. He yeah, does. Well. well done, Kevin. Yep, fantastic. Thanks for entering. Your checks in the post, Kev. We'll be in touch <laughs> shortly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's get on to uh, this month's beautiful noise. If you think you have an idea uh, about that beautiful noise, get onto your smartphones, your laptops, your desktops, your email, because Dave loves email. Dave at nztrucking.co.nz, and uh, we're going to fill up his inbox and just make sure you put beautiful noise in the subject line because he's so busy. (laughs) We need to water it down somehow for him. That's much appreciated. Okay, we'll call in the rest of the team. We've got uh, Carl Kirkplonk. Hello, Carl. Hey, how's it going, team? And and you are broadcasting to us from where? Well, actually, we're not too far away from um, Head Central. We're up on a hilltop here, um, looking at back towards Auckland, and um, just to try and get a bit of 4G. Brilliant. Nothing like a bit of 4G. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, and it is the good news. Carl is now a permanent roving, uh, on a permanent roving commission in about a month's time with the New Zealand trucking family. So it's nice to have you aboard and we know you won't be late to the, to the next podcast, mate. <laughs> and, and we got Gavin Myers. Of course, Gavin is the editor of New Zealand Trucking Mag. Nice to have you there too, Gavin. Hey, mate. Right. Okay. Let's do the five minute moot. What's our subject today, Dave? EV trucks or alternative propulsion trucks. Some people say they're going to be here sooner than we realize. And other people say that they're not going to it's going to be a slow grind to get here what do you guys reckon first thing what we need to do is limit ourselves to talking about pure electric and not bring hydrogen into the conversation because that's a whole other topic oh yes yeah, well uh, that just gives us another mood for another time it does. <laughs> uh, but yeah even then it, it depends i mean there's such a hell of a lot to consider what has become quite obvious is the willingness with the public to actually go ev um, themselves you know everyone was sort of uh, very much on the fence uh, but the numbers that we're seeing on the roads now is certainly starting to prove something totally different so the thing is is that there's a lot of guys I know I've got a lot of mates that you know turn around and say exactly that oh you'll never get me in an electric truck and so on and so forth but the reality is is I think technology is getting there that's um, you know there's definitely big leaps and bounds being made and I think um, well, you know, we had this conversation the other day, didn't we? Sort of our text about, um, uh, you know, we'd sort of been out with the CNR team again and the, uh, uh, with Murray and the T908 and, you know, sort of 600 and something horsepower, you know, Caterpillar underneath the bonnet, um, pulling the women, uh, you know, three rows of, well, four rows of eight actually and the, and the dolly and a 24H cat on the back. And I actually posed that question there and then, you know, when will we see an electric truck that could actually do that and do it as well? And the reality is, is that it's probably still some time away before we get to that level. But 
the thing is, is that electric energy is already proving that it will be up to the task. It will do that job and do it effortlessly and yeah. probably with more ease. Yeah, I think it's already somewhat there for personal mobility. Um, the mm. first chips mm. are there for metro delivery vehicles. But I think it'll still be a long time yet before we see a truck running, say, more than 200 k's from Auckland, for example. Um, yeah. And, and two of the biggest determining factors across any of those classes of vehicles um, is battery technology and charging infrastructure. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And Gavin and I were with a well-known car transporting firm this morning who who bought a lot of their work as, as higher-end cars and that, and he said that already at, right at the moment they are 70% of the cars they car are EV. Yeah. I come at it from, from two perspectives. One is from, from an ex-transport, uh, working in for a transport company, like in a management team at a transport company, and second is from personal experience. And for the first one is... Uh, you can say what you like and and there are you know there's a lot of transport people out there who are enthusiasts as well but when it comes to the pure business if a truck if if there's a truck in the market that goes as well and is cheaper to run over the course of its life and has less r&m because it has less moving parts the business will dictate the transition and if it's not them going hell this thing's actually going to put money in my bank uh, over the 10 years that i own it uh, they'll be pressured from their customers because yeah, all the what, customers, yeah. all the customers will see is a, is a rate drop. And God help the transport industry. I hope that we don't do what we've done so many times. And there's the opportunity to split a margin where the customer benefits and we benefit. We don't bang ourselves on the toe with a hammer and give it all to the customer. Yeah, that's right. You know, it would be tragic if in ten years' time the EV trucks are returning no bigger margin to the transport operator, and the customers got all the benefit. And the other thing is, from from the from the point of view of personal experience, I go back to that article I wrote called Thor's Hammer after we had our trip to Japan in 2019 and my first drive of an Ecant, and uh, and I remember vividly jumping in the truck. The Joker from Fuso was there beside me. I stuck it in D, planted my foot, took off like a would have pulled a would have beat the ranger away from the traffic lights any day of the mm-hmm, weekend mm-hmm. i looked and he had fairly rudimentary english and i had even more rudimentary japanese i gotta say but i got i managed to get through to him while we were burning around the test track i said man it goes really well what's it go like with a load on and he got through to me that it actually had seven ton gvm <laughs> yeah and yeah. i was like holy shit burgers yeah 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 and so then that always brings me to we know what we know like our life has been growing up in diesel. We love diesel. If someone gave us a great big diesel truck and six, seven hundred horsepower, we think we would think we were bloody made. But there's mm-hmm. kids and young ones coming through now who will That's only right. ever be EV people. Yep. And so they'll get an incredibly powerful, quiet small truck, an incredibly powerful, quiet, slightly bigger truck, like a like a twenty-two ton GVM Volvo Actros or Fuso. And then they'll say, oh, I'll get promoted to the big line haul truck, which if it's diesel, they're not going to take to that overly kindly because mm-hmm. it's going to be noisier, slower, and you've got to fill it full of greasy liquid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and right. so that, you know, the, it's the drivers will push. The, the, the drivers will push as much as anything else. The next generation of drivers, the ones that are – and Matt Smith, our, my co-business partner, made a great point a couple of months ago when we were thrashing it out as well, and he said – Great big machines are the same to any kid as they've ever been through any generation. If that's what you know, if that's what it was when you were four, then you will you will seek after. If it's electric, it'll be electric. When you were young, it was diesel. But a great big shiny electric truck to a kid that's only ever known that, 
pretty mm. soon the diesels will be vintage. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And I think that, the, yeah. too, is that with the current climate, the way things are going at the moment, I mean, at the pumps, is just getting beyond a bloody yeah. joke. I well, mean, that's, that's going to And that's a whole another. Yeah. That's, that's we're on to another moot together. I know, yeah. we're on to another moot, yeah. but I mean, we won't go there at the moment. But the reality is, is that that will become a massive factor in the equation. If you've got some thoughts about our moot today, uh, once again, you know, the, the email, David, New Zealand Trucking. <laughs> Sorry, NZ Stop laughing when you say that. <laughs> I love it, mate. I love all those emails you get. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our feature interview of the month with Trevor Masters. Keeping thousands of companies at their most productive, the name Mitsubishi Forklifts by Centra Forklifts has become synonymous with quality, reliability and value for money. Our distinctive green trucks can be seen at work sites and in warehouses all around the world. With Mitsubishi forklifts, reach trucks, order pickers, pallet trucks and more, all serving the backbone for some of the busiest and demanding operations around. Innovative design, cutting edge technology and uncompromising quality are the standards that define everything we do. So if you are wanting short or long term lease options, or to buy, contact the team at Centra Forklifts, your Mitsubishi forklifts dealer in New Zealand. Phone 0508 367 548 or visit www.mitforklift.co.nz. Hi everyone and welcome to the feature interview of episode 7 of the Keep On Moving podcast. And this is one that I've, I've had on my list of must-do interviews. Um, it's quite, in many ways, a personal interview for me because it's someone who's, who's local to my area growing up and influential. And I even worked for the man for a very short period of time, which uh, was cut short due to um, impending babies on the way and I needed to find a job that had a little less hours. But um, it was a great thrill and a privilege to drive a Blue Kenworth in the Trevor Masters fleet. Trevor's a really interesting story because the theme of the interview is before you build the business, first you must build the road. And many operators will talk about how hard things were in the early years getting going for their um, for their business, but not many can say that they actually had to go out and build one of the roads that they would use most in their transport business before they could actually get their transport business going. But that's sort of what happened um, in, in Trevor's life. And so that, for me, has made, it a, a, made Trevor a great, uh, subject for an interview, apart from the fact he's a bloody good bugger to both work for and just yarn with. Um, and so uh, here we are at his, at his uh, uh, home in, in Port Charles, and so welcome to Keep On Moving, Trevor Masters. Thank you, Dave. No worries at all. Yeah, thanks for the time. So let's start at the beginning before we get on to building roads and things. What? Uh, so where, where's, where's home for you? Where's, where, where is it? Our home is uh, in Kopu. Yeah. We, we still have a, a small uh, business operating there, and, uh, and Port Charles is just the place we love to be. Just the place, well, it's not hard to see why, is it, when you're looking out at that? Yeah. And so for, where's, where's, where's roots for you? Where did, where, where did life start? Life started for me in Coromandel. It's, uh, in fact, a very small village, the side of Coromandel, at Kopitauki. Oh, yeah, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Is that... Is that, is that <laughs> Is that go for Trevor Masters, is it? This is the first day. Far out. Really? Yeah. Didn't make it to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and mum had to stop at a, at, a, uh, at, a, at a house there with an old auntie, and that was my first day. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So school in Coromandel? School in Coromandel. Yeah. And Tapu. Yeah, and parents did? They, uh, oh, mum was just uh, a local working girl around the town. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my dad, he was uh, 
He was into uh, all sorts of bulldozers and yeah. So there's a natural affinity with yeah with machines right yeah. from the start. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, we made uh, we made uh, made it through to fifteen before I got out of school. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Which would have been reasonably that was quite an achievement in those days. What year are we talking there? Talking about 1956. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Coromandel Area School? Yeah. 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 So, um, and my uncle was running a, uh, the, the bush gang up on top of the 309. Was he? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Alan Mills. Right. Mm. Yep. And uh, so he gave me a job driving an HD9 Alice Chalmers. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought I was just the bee's knee. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> With that... <clears throat> And that was my first taste of native native logging. Yeah. And I caught probably the tail end of that. Yeah. Um, of, of the native logging operations. And, yeah. And, and that was, you know, met some interesting guys, you know, taught, taught me a lot about how you did things in the, you know, out in the, in the, in the native bush where it wasn't much to help you other than a wire rope and a tractor. Yeah. So uh, they, they were all good guys. So fundamentals of maintenance, keeping stuff mm. going, because mm. I suppose Coromandel was probably the 309 road wouldn't have would have been quite a call for that. Oh, she was quite a quite a windy little track. They eased a few of the corners now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And what were they carting the native out with? Oh, GMCs. Yeah, post-war stuff. Yeah, post-war stuff. Yeah, yeah. internationals. Yeah, yeah. My father had an international six-wheel drive truck up there that um, he was pulling native removes and totras and all those sort of things down to the local mill at Coromandel. Yeah. Uh, that was all interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the connection, is that where the connection with Alan Mills stayed? Yeah. yeah that, um, um, after the native operations sort of stopped in that Coromandel region, we basically went down into the forest operations. Yeah. Down in Kainaroa and... Yeah. And uh, we did um, a lot of native uh, pine clearing around the Atomary Dam. Oh, yeah, for the dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the dam was Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we cleared a lot of all of that. And and then over to Murapara to do a lot of the roading in the forest. Right. And so, yeah, it became very interested in logging. So you were driving motor scrapers, bulldozers, scooters? We were at the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes, and it it wasn't the, the big. Uh, heavy duty arterial roads. Uh, we were doing the, the the smaller roads off them to yep. into the into the forest operations, and so yeah, it was all good, good stuff. Yep. Yeah. And what what, uh, what sort of mach- what would you been driving then? HD twenty one Alice Chalmers. Yeah. Quite a uh, you know quite a substantial piece of equipment. Yeah. In those days for pulling out stumps and everything to do the roading and um, yeah the TS three hundred. Motor scrapers and Euclid motor scrapers we had there, and all sorts of machinery for looking after the operations. Graders, yeah, big, they had pretty big graders. They were doing the main, the main roads. Nobody sort of believed me when we found uh, when we told them that we were a set of cutter, cutting edges on the blades out in three days. Right. Yeah. 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 I and mean, that that was incredible. Nobody ever believed us that. Yeah. But that's how long they would last. You know. They'd that deep, you know, and just all got scraped off. Yeah. yeah. And what was the is that the, what was the material like in the pumice? Is it was it just no. abrasiveness or what? Yeah, you know, it was just real hard roads. That's where all the Pacific log trucks yeah. all 
pounding on that road, and she was real hard road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd bedded it right in. Yeah, she was just solid stuff. Yeah. So it all had to be cut and spread. And yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, you'd do a, a 25-mile um, cut one way, and you'd turn around, you'd do another 25-mile cut back. Yeah. <laughs> another 25-mile cut down. Yeah. So that's three, that's 75 mile. Of three passes and 75 miles. Yeah. And then you turn around and you do a 25 mile spread. And then another 25 mile spread out the other way, job finished. <laughs> For a week. <laughs> yeah. For a week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And, where, and from there? From there, we, we um, uh, the boss. Um, was chasing a bit of outside work because we'd been doing that down there for such a long time that um, he, he was very keen to get into the Copiapawai. Right. Because that was all coming up for tender. Yeah. And so um, there was um, Ministry of Works in those days. They did, they did uh, part of the operations. They did from the main road at Kopu into... I think the first concrete bridge. Right, yep. I think it was. Or it might have been the second concrete bridge. And then all the hilly stuff was done to the left of the contractors. Right, yep. So uh, it was Green McCarthy, they had a contract up there. Yep. Uh, ourselves, uh, Alan Mills, had a contract up there. And um, and Green McCarthy also had, had another contract on the eastern side of the Kopiakawai. Yeah. On the mid there, were in an area that they call Andesite. Yeah. There was a huge coal wind in there that they, they operated on. Yeah. So it was all challenging stuff up there. Yeah. So j- before we get into the Kopiakawai mm. Road proper, um, I'd go back to your motor scraper, and I remember you telling me a story years and years ago about working at night, yeah. and if you turned off the headlights yeah. on the motor scraper yeah. and worked in the moonlight, you could get an extra load in or something? Yeah. <laughs> you want It was probably... Um, I don't know about an extra load, but um, we, we had the Cat 631 motor scrapers. They had nine-speed automatic or semi-automatic. And so you had three shifts in each gear. And if you if you were going up the hill with a full load on and you turned the lights off, it was just enough, taking enough power away from the on the motor to let it upshift one. Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. But if you turn those lights on... You'd go down one. you shoot downshift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just the power of, of I guess, the alternator yeah. uh, being driven. It was just enough to to, to uh, make that little difference. So on a moonlit night, you were more productive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you may have used less fuel. Yeah, that's exactly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So just for listeners, so we've just started touching on the um, what Trevor referred to as the Cobra Hikawai Road. So for for most North Island truck drivers will be well aware of the Cobra Hikawai Road. Um, South Islanders, the so we're talking State Highway 25A if you look at it on a map. So it is the road that connects the western side of the Coromandel Peninsula at Thames to the eastern side of the Coromandel Peninsula at place called Hikawai. In other words, it meets the main arterial road going up the eastern side of the Coromandel. It's quite an interesting road historically in the terms of New Zealand. Um, It is still, I think, and I'll probably be corrected on this by someone, but up until at least 20 years ago, it was the last virgin cut state highway across a main divide in New Zealand where there had been no existing road previously. 
So there were mill access roads on uh, up the east and western side that were utilised, but the actual main crossing of the main divide over the spine of the Coromandel it was a virgin cut. It was also the last road ever to be surveyed with a 22-yard chain. Um, and I talked extensively to uh, the surveyor, uh, Harper, Jack Harper, just because Jack's passed away now, mm, eh? Right. Yeah, and I had the privilege and made a lot of notes talking to Jack Harper before he passed away and about uh, about yeah using the 22-yard chain to survey the Kaipukawai Road. And then when they decided to go ahead, they decided if they were going to build this road, it was one of the first roads, highways, to be built to what you'd call a modern spec. Like, I remember when they funded it, they said that um, no corner was to be any more severe than a 30-mile-an-hour radius. So it was a very modern piece of roading when it was built and served, <coughs> it served a bloody long time before it needed any major works, didn't it? Like, it did a good 30, 35 years, didn't it, before they actually had to put passing lanes and shit in on it. Um, and so, yeah, so there was a lot of headhunting that went on for people to build it. It wasn't their trip. Like, guys were actually recruited back in from all around the world to get into it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Trevor was working for Alan Mills. And so whereabouts was your section on the, on the road? We, we, we did uh, immediately um, the, from the, on the western side from the second concrete bridge. Yep, Kerry 2 Bridge. Which is known as Egan's. Oh, is Egan's it? Mill. Egan's Mill was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, from, from that bridge up for about a half a mile. Do you know where Huckers is? Yep, where Huckers, yeah. Yep. Yep. So that, that was um, Gwen McHale's. Right. And our contract started there. Right. Um, and we went from there right over the summit and down to the andesite, which is halfway down. Yep, to just, the culvert itself. No, just about 200 metres before the big culvert. Right, and okay. so Green McHale started there and they went down to the um, the bridge right at the very bottom. Yep, the Takatakahia Bridge there. Yep, that's yep. right. And then our contract started, our, our contract started at that bridge and then went straight over to the Tyrell Bridge. Oh, okay. So you sort of had the stadia section? Yes, we had the stadia section. Oh, okay. You're right. Because your workshops are at the Puanui Flats. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 So how how was building a... That must have been quite exciting for you as a young machine operator to get like a virgin cut road. Oh, mate. She was real heady stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was real heady stuff and, you know, we had good gear to do it with. Yeah. There was no, um, uh, you know, there was no rubbish gear or anything like that. It was just top-of-the-line gear that... Uh, so Alan Mills bought some new gear for it? He, he bought a lot of new gear for that. Yeah. yeah. And um, and uh, we had um, Royal Gurnick, remember Royal? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he would come up and blast all the rock for us. Yeah. And uh, then, then we had a, a real rock area to work during wet periods. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. We always had Royal busy uh, blasting all those areas because it used to rain like something up there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so you couldn't work the clay cuttings. It just make a hell of a mess. You know? Yeah. So, so uh, that was summer work. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, naturally, they want to get as much done as they can. So uh, it, would, um, uh, it would give us a place to work during, yeah. during the wet periods. And, and, you know, we, we've sent rain every day for three weeks up there Yeah, at that time. Yeah. And um, the roads, or the access roads got that bad, you you, you couldn't, um, you know, you, you couldn't drive into them. So the area of the road where Trevor's talking about, it's like, I suppose you'd say, 
stab in the dark 14 k's in from civilization, I suppose, to where their work started, and then probably 14 k's out the other side to the civilization on the eastern side. So, like, where are you living? Are you living on site or no? No, we were we had a we were living in Matatoki. We had a house at Matatoki we were living in. Yeah, and uh, and the company also had a, a big house that the single drivers all stayed in and yeah. had a place there for them to stay. Yeah. So, but that Gwen McCarhill had their own living quarters there. Right. But so they, they did have a spot um, there that a few of their drivers camped in and yeah. stayed in, So, but we didn't go down that track. All so you commuted in every morning mm. for want of a better... Mm. Right, mm. In, in Land Rovers or something? Or? Yes, um, Big time four wheel drivers at that time. <laughs> <laughs> at, um, and come winter time, I mean, we had the big chains on them. The, the very, I mean, today you see chains like those things there. Yeah. Uh, just small, small chains on vehicles. We we had big, massive chains made up for the Land Rovers, so we could we could get walk through the mud. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were pretty good up to a point, but eventually got to the point where they couldn't um, they couldn't get through. So the boss bought us a big army quad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had big tyres on them this side with four big chains on them and rails for us all to stand on and hang on. And so how did they get the machines in originally? Like, how did you get... Like, what were you driving up there at, on in the in the sites you were working at? Like, what size machine? Uh, I was driving a TD30 International. Right. Bulldozer. That's probably a fraction smaller than a Cat D9. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's in that category. So how the hell did, did you just walk it in, or...? Um, the transporters bought them up from uh, from Rotorua area yeah. um, to, to the site, but we would walk them from the um, Egan's Mill right. bridge. So before it all got gooey and mucky yeah. and you yeah. could get into there. Yeah, you yeah. get into there. Once you're in there, it rained well. That's another story. <laughs> yeah, well, you're building a road. Yeah. yeah. You don't get out till it's done. Absolutely. Yeah. So big eye-opener compared with the pumice country down the line. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, probably for the mechanics too. They probably weren't that enthralled with no. mud. No, definitely not. Yeah. Especially having to roll around the mud there. Yeah. <laughs> so Green and McCarhill, like, but, um, not taking away for one moment out what uh, Alan Mills contracts, mm. but... Gee, Green and McCarthy, what a couple of doozies, didn't they? Like up to Gurnick's Flat, which is the yeah. steep, and then yeah. through the Andesite yeah. Um, yeah. box cut. Yep, they, they, they shifted some massive material in there. Yeah. Mm. Mind you, it was pretty easy in those days. You just pushed it straight over the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These, these days you can't do that. No, no, that's exactly right. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I was thinking about the Andesite cut um, just before the, the bridge at the bottom of uh, at the one ton straight there, like that was that that was just blast and blast and push and blast and push to get yeah. down through that box. Yeah. 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 Yeah, a lot of that, that stuff on the Grand Carhill side was they, they could actually do a lot of that with rippers. Right. So they had their D nines working in there and they ripped all that out. Yeah. Um, and that but uh, and and right on the one ton straight that you talked about. Yeah. yeah, there was a, a little bit of blasting on that. So you were on uh, the bulldozer all the time? Pretty much on that job, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course, you've got to realise that today they, they would have a lot of diggers. Yes. Hydraulic diggers on the, on, on the scene. In those yeah. days, it was still day of the bulldozer and motor scraper sort of thing. You know? Yeah. So uh, I think probably diggers might have um, made it a lot easier for some of that country that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. That's... Um, that, that we were working through. Yeah, that's times. right. Yeah. Especially yeah. under those muddy conditions because diggers are so good at that. Yes. But, um, but yeah, but they might. that was the time of the bulldozers and they did. 
So how, like, how long were you in there and how long? would have been 64, I think, 1964 we went in there, I think. Uh, 63, 64, yeah. So we're there till 66. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And she opened in 19... I think it was at the end of 66. Yeah, it? I think, yeah, 66, early 66. Yeah, because there was some really interesting stuff with, on yeah. that. Like that andesite culvert was yeah. the biggest yeah. was the biggest formed yeah. uh, was a, a metal culvert yeah. ever put yeah. on a road at that stage, yeah. wasn't it? You oh, know? It was a massive operation. Yeah. 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 We used to come back through that area late at night. Um, when we were going home, we would come up through Green Up Cave. We were working in the little access track that we would come around to go around the head of that yes. andesite and then come back up again. And uh, it was so dark, if you stopped there, it was just like a green city of, uh, of uh, all the glowworms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, the whole banks were just lit up. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Neat, though, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah great yeah. memories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'd stop and turn the lights out, and, and it was just like looking at a city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, Green and McCarville had D9s and yeah. and things up yeah. there, and yeah. Yeah. and like yeah. you say, it was all motor scrapers and mm. bulldozers. And yeah, not so much the motor scrapers up there. Yeah, they they weren't quite uh, sort of uh, you know they only had those we, we did have the the twin motors Euclids up there but they weren't a terrible success they were just a bit too tight up there for yeah and operating it, them and when it got stodgy they were probably mm, yeah they yeah parked up they were parked <coughs> up yeah yeah so reverted to the bulldozer and carrier yeah put the carriers behind them and at least they could get around a bit more yeah. Um, but um, no, that, that's just the, the, those motor scrapers are really good for long distance. Yeah, cutting like dam sites. And, yeah, and all those. Sort of yeah, things. in those days it was just form the road and push the station shed off. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it just looked like a battle scarred <laughs> area, you know. But today you look at it and it's all covered and it's all regenerated and looking good. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, that's right. Well, I mean, nature does it herself, doesn't yeah. she? She, yeah. she? She just puts her slash yeah. clean over the side into the sea, doesn't yeah. she? Like, yeah. you know, it's, she doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, a really interesting thing was with the Cape Hookway Road is when they were trying to source funding for it or looking at funding options for it, they approached the I don't know what you'd call it, the forest industry, forest service, or the government forest, and and said, well, you'll be a great benefit of the benefiter of this road when it's built. So you throw some pingers in the pot, and they weren't the least bit interested no. because they said, well, all of our wood will go to this new Mount Monganui that's mm. exploding and booming. And you know, I think they actually said, if you're going to do anything, we want the road from Waihe to Fongamata mm. improved. Mm. And um, but the Cobra Hikawai Road went in, and next minute there's a sawmill at Kopu. Yeah. Uh, Tasman built yeah. the Fletchers yeah. built the. Built the Kopu Mill, yeah. and that's changed yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah. And so, '66, uh, it's all finished. Yep. And uh, and you stayed on in the area. Yeah. Well, we sort of thought that um, a young family coming on. Yeah. Time to stop living out of the suitcase. Yeah. So you you went to Rotorua, Mary. Like when did you and Mary form a form an unbreakable union? Nineteen sixty-two. Sixty-two. So yeah, because you, you're yeah. a Port Charles girl originally, mm-hmm. eh? Yep. So you knew each other. Like, did you, w- when you were kids around this area, was where you no. were known? No. no. Was that right? No. No. Really, <laughs> mate? You just as well. You sneered him, <laughs> hey? <laughs> She's not too sure on that. Oh, <laughs> look at the view. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, did you when you were on your home? Did you meet when you were coming for your home trips and things? Or yeah, well, as a matter of fact, yes. Mary was working in the hospital, Coromandel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. My mum was working there also, so I went up there to see her one day. Mary was there, so... So you kept stubbing your toe and going back to the hospital? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she always had a pair of a sticking plaster there for her. So. <laughs> Okay, so um, yep, and so you're living at you're both living at Matatoki while the mm. road's being built. Mm. Mm. Yep. So what sort of out like just keeping on the Kabuhikawai road for a minute, like like start work, finish work, like like walk out the door, walk in the door at home. Like what's the what sort of hours are we working day in day out? Summertime, probably walk out the door around oh, about one thirty in the morning. Yeah. And um, probably walk back in the door at home about ten o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. As so long as the sun was shining and the weather was dry. Yeah, you're up there driving machines. Mm. It, I mean, it was the only way to get it done. Yeah, uh, especially when the pressure was on, you know. So, um, although the boss never ever told us, but it, I think there was penalties on there if you didn't comply with those rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was a matter of just um, you know, making it happen when it was able to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were pretty big days. There was a lot, a lot of time that we didn't see the family. Yeah. You'd just get home and maybe you'd have tea ready. And or breakfast. Or breakfast. <laughs> In the bed and out of bed very quickly. And days off a week? No. When, when the season was on, you were going? The season was on, it was seven days. Yeah. How long did the commute in and out take? From? When you got in the GMC and held onto your grab handle until uh, you actually got to the machine. Probably around about half an hour. Oh, yeah, it's not too bad. Pretty rough. Yeah, it? yeah, it's pretty. pretty yeah, yeah. It did get to the point where, where the uh, where the army quad couldn't get into. Right. Mm, so we all clambered onto a big bulldozer and travelled so, <laughs> in and out on that. Flipping Nora. And that got to the point where that couldn't get in or out. Can you remember? Uh, can you remember like an instance of like how far you walked into your machine on foot when everything out when all else failed? <laughs> Well, from the from the Egan's Bridge, yeah, to the summit would be three, oh, three yeah. to five k's, yeah, three four yeah, k's, yeah. So your and machine was always parked at Pillanoo Flat, yeah, yeah, uh, about about k down, half a k down the other side, so yeah, yeah about four to four or five k's. That was in and then out and then out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Catch the last bus home, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Far out. But having said that, though, they, those days were a lot shorter. Um, not yeah, people were working long. Long days, like I just mentioned, in the winter. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So basically, just it was all governed by sunlight. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you're still was still a long time because it took mm. you so bloody long to get home. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. of the fog and mud yeah. and walking yeah. and yeah. yeah. So just well, we were young and fit those days. So. Yeah. Well, that's it. Is what it is when you're yeah, in yeah. it, isn't it? it is. Yep. So roads finished. You're going to hang around. What happens next? Yeah. What did happen next? I um I got a job in Donald Motors at the GM franchise. Yep. As a mechanic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. So you'd done your mechanics ticket at some stage or just no, knowledge no, learnt on the job? Just knowledge on the job. Yeah. 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 Doug McDonald owned McDonald Motors and he said, yep, we need mechanics. Come along. Yeah. I said, well, I don't know much about your GMs. And he said, we'll show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Things were quite relaxed in those days. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, had a good team of guys in there. Frank Newland was there. He was the, the service manager and, you know, he was pretty, pretty knowledgeable. Showed us what was needed and just went from there. But we stayed a couple of years there and then I um, actually got a job with Wally Brown. Oh, did you? Yeah. Driving? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the trucks. And yep. then, uh, as, as a driver mechanic. Right. So you know, yep. he'd go and do a bit of driving. If he had a mechanical problem, well, 
gearbox blow up or something like that. We do all these gearboxes or engine repairs for him and so forth. And um, eventually morphed into full-time driving. Yeah. So got into a bit of cattle. Yeah. Uh, and what were you driving? Oh, TK Bedford. Excellent. KH Bedford. Excellent. Is it the Lowland 400 in yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful old truck. Yeah, hey. Yeah. <laughs> all night. <laughs> that was all night stuff. Yeah, because in those days it was always idiot bricks, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, there was no big rounds or big squares. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah Charlie Lyes was quite good at uh, making heavy bales. <laughs> <laughs> See how strong you are. <laughs> and, um, and that's, so yeah, so that's um, sort of, uh, got, got onto the stock trucks with Wally and, uh, yeah, we cruised all around the country with that. It was quite amazing what yep. um, place we went for that and, Stock, it was that was an interesting, yeah, uh, you know. Mm. And you always hear that when you talk to people yeah. who, at some stage in their driving career, yeah. did stock. Yeah, N- no one. I've you very rarely struck someone that says I hated stock. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone when they got onto it, they really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. They um, well, they had their moments. It's not oh, about that. Yeah, yeah. Every job does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Battling with pigs or bobby calves or things like that. Yeah. So how how far afield would you have gone for um, wild bulls off? Wanganui Island. Yeah. <laughs> Wild bulls off Wanganui Island. Black, 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 black one. Yeah. Crate smashes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They do that right. No trouble at all. But um, oh, we used to go up north. Yeah. We'd travel up north and do, do loads out of the far north down to down to um, Westfield and back load here, there and everywhere. That would have been bracing yeah. in the TK Bedford. Yeah, okay. it was. Yeah. It was a good experience. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And from there? Um, well... I went, out, I went on to the freight. Yeah. And Wally, one of Wally's licences was a route licence. Yeah. Um, to Auckland. Yeah. And uh, that was open for Mondays and Thursdays. Right. So every Monday you would go to Auckland, get freight, and bring it back. And it was, uh, being a route licence, it was for deliveries to Kopu, Matatoki, Buri, and Hikatai. Right. Monday and a Thursday. Only on a Monday and a Thursday. You see? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good old transport oh, licensing. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Thank God those days were oh. So, anyhow, I did that for a couple of years, and, of course, uh, within that time, we had the Milanofi boys arrived on scene. Yep. And brought Parker Wilson out. Yep, and we're talking roughly... Early 1970s. Yeah. Yep. Early 1970s. So the, the Milanofi boys had been uh, down Kimbolton and transport and all that sort of thing, but they brought Parker Wilson out. Of course, Dave was a pretty good go-getter, and he started pushing this freight. Of course, the Parker Wilson system had a lot of route licences, and that's what Dave was interested in. The fact that um, Wally Brown had this route licence soon had DJ Milanofi knocking on Wally's door. And uh, so, long story short... Uh, DJ bought that license and driver. <laughs> yours truly. <laughs> yeah, yours truly. And so I ended up working for Tim Straight Lines with my um, two-day route license. Yep. DJ being DJ, he worked the hell out of that license whenever he could. <laughs> you, know, you work for him long enough, so you yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was my step into freight lines, and which morphed into provincial. Yep, mm. yep, in uh, 1992. But you were long gone before it ever yes, moved into provincial. Right. Yep, right. yep. So the Trevor Masters Limited Log business came about by virtue of out of the freight lines system somewhere, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's so, right. Yep, I know the story, but you can yeah. tell it. When Fletcher's built the Copu Mill, yeah, they called for 
transport tenders, and Freightliners were one of the uh, successful companies that uh, got one of those contracts. And um, so that uh, carried on for a year or two, and as time morphed by, I sort of felt that uh, I wouldn't mind sort of doing a bit of my own thing. In the meantime, though, I had also purchased shares yes. in Thames Freightlines. So I was a small shareholder, so yeah. only 6% shareholder yeah. in the company yeah. at the time. So I, I exchanged my shares for the old contract yes. and a licence. Yes. Because at that time, we had to... Um, you couldn't just go and get a licence just like that. And so I, I took the... Um, uh, the license that went went with it, and traded that my shares for them. Yeah. So that gave me my first start into the into the log transport business. Into the log transport mm. business that you'd taken an interest in all those years ago. Yeah. And yeah. been a part of. Yeah. And uh, and interestingly, the Thames Freightline <coughs> contract that they mm. won at the Fletcher's Mill was a it suddenly involved that road you built. Yeah, exactly. Because um, basically, probably ninety percent of the uh, of the logs uh, going into that mill all came from Tyro Forest. Came from Tyro Forest, mm. yeah. Mm. Yep. yep. And uh, the other so, 10% came out of Maramura. Yep. Mm. And so you kick-started uh, TML with, with what was the first? Had a uh, international 3070. Yes. The V8903. Yep. Good truck? Yeah, loved it. Yeah, she was, she was a sweet. 15-speed roadie? Yeah, yeah. Overdrive? No, 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 I changed it to a 13. Oh, did you? Mm. Tell me why. Uh, closer range gears. Yes. For a, for, a, for a V8? Yeah. For a V8 that loves to be operating at high revs. Right, yeah, yeah. You see, um, I mean, that 903 had a max rev of, I'll be corrected probably, I think it was, I thought it was 2600. Yeah. Um, and I, because I, a mate of mine had a, had a 903 and uh, with a 15, but the gap was too big. Yeah. And the V8, I reckon the V8 didn't like it. Yeah. So that's why I put a 13 in with a, with the splitters, yeah, and you only had a three hundred rev um, change, a three hundred um, count change between each gear, yeah, yeah, and the V eight lived it, yes, because they're singing on the top revs, and yeah, that's yeah, just where they perform best, yeah, and of course, uh, I like that, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so that truck was configured. Was that six before three axle pole trailer? Yes, or? yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Anyhow, we we wore her out. And <laughs> <laughs> How many years did you have the thirty seventy? About three, I think. Yeah, might be two yeah. or three. Yeah, I remember it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it ended up doing a lot of deer cartage, I think, down the South Island. Oh, did it? it from Tamahiri. Oh, yeah. Cheapers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's what ended up. That ended up there. But, uh, we bought Nestline. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And. Um, there's a little bit of a story to the S-Line. Um, In terms of how it came about? No, I, was, I mean, I was happy to stick with International. They were, they were, they were good gear, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and good trucks and things like that. But uh, um, S-Line was next in line, so but I didn't want a 350 horse. Right. Oh, yeah. They yeah, yeah. only came with 350 horsepower. Yeah, and you wanted? I wanted the 400. Yeah. And so um, they said, oh, well, we'll strip it down change it to a 400 and I wasn't all that keen on on, on a kitten opened up yeah and um, and being converted to a 400 yeah I said no no we, we need to just put 
put a brand new 400 out of the box in there on the assembly line. Yeah, because you don't want your brand new 350 <coughs> no, pulled apart no, and turned into exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, that was the order. And uh, anyhow, they rang me up and said, oh, she's here, better come and have a look. And the first thing I saw was where the engine had been stripped down. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was a bit disappointed in that. So did you take it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what happened? <coughs> Uh, bought the 924. But you, you had the S line for a while. You operated uh, that's the first one. Oh, so we're talking your first, so yep. 3070 replaced yep. by a. Yep. Uh, yep. Sorry, I might have uh, jumped the gear a bit. Right, yep. So 3070 yep. replaced. The first one was the 350. Yeah, which was a neat truck. Oh, yeah. It was painted blue and it had yeah. the, You changed the. Was that the introduction of. Like it had that yellowy gold yeah, yeah, in yeah, for way. Yeah. That was a neat looking yeah. machine. Yeah. Yeah, that was a Tom Hunt special. Oh, was it? Mm. So Tom Hunt is a local painter extraordinaire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was his design. I said, I just like the blue. Yeah. You shape it up how you want it, you know. Yeah. So he, he came up with all that other stuff. And so when you saw that with the gold in it, you must have gone like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I also did think, well, yeah, it did fit. Yeah. Uh, it did fit. Yeah. So, yes, I, I'm sorry, I jumped again on that last one. No, that's all right. No, no, no. We'll, yeah, because yeah. when I come to replacing that one yeah. was when... I, I ordered another one, and then I said, "Don't no, we want the four hundred in this?" Yeah, in this yeah. One. But, uh, so the three fifty one was a good truck to you. It always it was okay. Looked, it always looked a neat truck. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Fif- was that thirteen speed two or fifteen no, speed fifteen? Because yeah. yeah. different motor, different. Yeah, yeah so she yeah. was uh, she was an old slogger in there. Yeah, she didn't like high revs. Yeah, yeah. And so she didn't mind coming down that extra few hundred yes. revs yeah. between gears. Yeah, and uh, and, and that, that counts. Yeah, you know that really counts when you're because. It, it, it lets the torque rating, uh, the, the torque range just works works a lot better when you've got a bit more space to work in. Yes. You know, it lets the revs come down and down and down to a point that you don't uh, overkill it. Yeah. You know, but uh, I, I just found the difference between the V8, loving high revs, yeah. small gap, ideal, and the and the, the six-cylinder motor with, with a, a different torque uh, rating yeah. or range. Um uh, the wider gap in, in the in the gear spacing was much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which one did you prefer to drive? There's a question. Oh, I think the 15s were really good. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. They were solid. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. solid. No, they were all good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the 350. How mm. many k's did you put on the 350 S line? How long did you have that truck for? Probably about probably about three years. Yeah, is that all? Right? Yeah, that and thinking all. back, hey, because you yeah. think back and think, oh, it was years. But yeah. When you're young, time takes a long time. It does. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it was only about three years we had that one. He was had the four air horns on the roof. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it was a bloody neat truck. Yeah. Six before and three axle pole trailer. Yeah. 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 Which was the rage in those days. Oh, that's what a logging truck yeah. was. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, and they were good because it's not, not, not like for coming out of steep areas, I mean, your trailer's a bit lighter. Whereas, you know, with the four axles behind, put more weight on the back. Just a big trolley on yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, I always think, when I'm thinking of you and the Cape Way Road, it must be quite neat driving a truck over a road you've built. So for listeners, an interesting anecdote story before we started the interview, Trev said to me, oh, you know you did that uh, Find This Road thing uh, in the magazine a while back, and one of the first ones that we did was a photo of a corner on the Cape Way Road. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I was expecting an entry from you. You could have won a hat. (laughs) And he said to me, I looked at the picture and thought, I built that corner. <laughs> yeah, right on, right on the top. Yeah. It was, um, I, I did a lot of the bulldozer work in that area. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, on the on the eastern side, about two or 300 metres down 
further down over that knob, uh, there was two big rocks, you know, about a metre and a half. Yeah. In the bank, on the side of the bank, and I pulled them out, and I actually pushed those two big rocks right to the very top into yeah. that parking area. Oh, yeah. And they're yeah. still there today. It's, I'm going to go and have a look at them but now. You won't see them. Oh, why is that? Because the bush has all grown over the top of them. Did you scratch your name on them with a knife? Um, <laughs> no, probably not. But there's two big rocks there, and I, I put them there, and I thought, oh, they'll be there for a lot of years. And, and like I say, they're still there, but you can't see them now. When I was going to write a story for the magazine, uh, oh, way back in the early 90s when John Addison was the editor and I was going to write a story on the building of the Kabukawai Road and I came in, I remember, so I came and saw you and I was privileged enough to see Jack Harper before he passed away and a few of the other and I can't remember who it was but I interviewed someone who mentioned Trevor Masters and they said, oh, they said, when you worked at Alan Mills you always knew what bloody gear he'd driven because somewhere on it we scratched TM with a knife in the paper. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> have a look no. around you, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't checked the boat yet to see if it's got, yeah. So uh, I want you to tell the story. Uh, Tred's got a great story, and, and you won't go far in the North Island when you, and he's a very humble guy, but you won't go far in the North Island when the name's Trevor Masters is mentioned. Yeah, people of his era talk about a man's affinity with a machine, and you actually drove the original S line off the Copa Hikawai loaded with a broken Hendrix and walk beam, didn't you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mary would have had the laundry to do that night, probably. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? Uh, on, on the bottom of the um, Hendrickson, you had two big beams, yeah. uh, which carried basically all the weight. Yeah. Now, where those beams attach under the uh, diffs, there's um, big bushes yeah. in there. Yep. I've got to say, they were not a good design because the big beam came up and you put two bushes in, yeah. which were pressed put in. Yep. And then a 5.8 bolt went through that and clamped the bushes together. Basically what happened is the 5.8 bolt broke and over a period of time the bushes started to work out. Yep. And, it, and one only had to drop out and then the beam basically dropped off uh, away from the, from the diff yeah. and dug into the ground, you see. Yep. So here we are. So um, this is what happened to you when you're coming down the road. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so, and of course, she leaned over very badly, and and uh, I was lucky for it. Uh, well, it, just where it happened was ideal because it was in a in a cutting. Yeah. And so it went into the water table and basically scraped along the bank before it came to a stop. So we had to uh, do something, so we chained her up. Chained up the walk beam. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not 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 an approved thing to do. <laughs> he didn't have an LT four hundred. <laughs> Yeah. But it got us out of there and got us unloaded. So where did you actually, how did you chain it up? How did you... We, we, we put big jacks under it and got it right up. Yeah. And we put big chains under it. Yeah. And uh, got a very slow trip home. So how did you keep the axle? Did it, was it all involved in the chain-up process? Yeah, it's all, yeah. all there. You chained it back into its slot. Yeah, back, yeah. back into its slot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't, wasn't a good-looking thing, but... Uh, <laughs> so did the chain go through where the 5.8 bolt would have been? Uh, well, of course, once the 5.8 bolt... It was gone, and the bushes had come out. You had a hole, gaping hole, about, about you know, inch and a half or yeah. two inch hole. Yeah, that you could do something with. Yeah, like I say, one good, good idea. But load, load, delivered, dock at site. Mm. Yeah, mate, it's all mm. that matters in the end. Mm. You're listening to the Keep On Moving podcast with New Zealand Trucking Media. Now let's get back to our feature interview for the month 
with Trevor Masters. So the S-line's done a good job, and then you have the second S-line, which is the one you wanted, mm. the 400, and you saw a boogie 350. Yeah. Yeah, wrong person to try and pull the wall over the ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I was a bit disappointed, but anyhow, that's the way it went. So you just left that truck there? Just left it there, and I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they didn't deliver what what we'd ordered. Yeah. And so that was the end of that. So we were lucky that um, there was a 924 setting up at um, in Auckland at Track. Yeah, which was the Mademoiselle. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Mm. So she was there for the taking. Because she was quite a late W model, wasn't she? Yes, it was an 86. 86, yeah, yeah. It was 86, I think, that one year. Yeah. Yeah. Six model. Because everyone else on the in the log game on the peninsula at that stage, they were pretty. They were into W models by mm. that stage, mm. weren't they? Mm. Uh, was Ross still around with the Pacific at that uh, stage? Yes, he was, he, was, he was into it at that point. Yep. Mm. Yep. 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 And so, yeah, you Clary, Hunty, Don yep. Gordon, they all had mm. W models. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was a sort of yep. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so she was a 400. Yeah, she was a 400. Yep. From the factory. Yep. And uh, she had all the fruit on it, and she was a good, good piece of kit. Because that was a very early black motor truck, wasn't mm, it? Like that it never had, wouldn't have the beige Cummins in it, no, didn't it? That's yeah. right, it was the, one of the first of the black ones, yeah. So, yeah, 400 horsepower. Yeah. Yep. Be good truck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to have kept that truck and just restored it. And, yeah, yeah. But it uh, wasn't to be. wasn't to be. And um, again, set up six before three axle mm. pole trailer. Mm. Yeah, for many years yeah. before it uh, did it end up a truck and trailer. Yes. It did because yeah. when I took it to Kinley, uh, Carriel years, years yes. ago it was a truck and trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we had a we ended up with a four axle behind it. Yeah, and um, so she, um, yeah, Mark McGann uh, drove that truck for years. Yes, he did too. Yeah, the late Mark McGann. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, yeah. Um, he 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 just uh, wouldn't. Uh, if he had a day off, he didn't want anybody driving his truck. Yeah, <laughs> he was. But he was a uh, a real um, what, what do you call him? He was just so incredibly tidy. Oh, um, just but in a, as a person too. Yeah, like yeah. his grooming was. Yeah. You'd be up at Fongapar and McGann yeah. would be there, and he'd be in the mugs of shit and loading, yeah. and he'd come out, and his hair was like yeah. broad yeah. cream parted. Yeah. Oh, like it was like no mud. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he used to go cook the mechanics if they didn't put a a mat down on the floor and. <laughs> So nobody really wanted to drive the truck if he wasn't around. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, he was an incredible driver. Have you ever been with him at all? Ah, uh, yeah, I did. Mm. I did because I did some relief driving for CJ Everett right. when I was between Freightline yeah. stints, yeah. and um, so Mark would load, yeah. and then I'd take it down to Kinley. Mm. And mm. so when I was learning mm. that, mm. I went in a couple of times with him. Yeah, yeah, did. and just such Smooth. a nice guy, lovely oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. So he, he got on to our two-rangy run in the end, and he just loved it. Yeah. 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 And so then opportunities came a bit further south with Trendy. That's right. Well, at that point, of course, um, Fletcher's were selling the mill at Kobu. Right, yeah. And um, Carter Holtz were buying the mill off them. Manager of uh, Fletcher's said, well, we're moving back to Tappan, and I want you to come with us. That's how that started. Yep. And they said... Um, so you need to be ready in about two months' time. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. So the phone got red hot to Don Track. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. What trucks you got there? And, uh, so they had that um, uh, 650. Yeah. With a triple four in it. And, um, sure, that's a bulletproof combo. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, sure. you're a great fan of the T650 Kenworth, aren't you? Love them. Yeah, <laughs> love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love them. Um, so that's, um, that's how that one started. 
And of course, at first I sort of thought, oh well, you know, like just stay as one truck operator. Uh, the one we had working in Tokopu could go down to Taupo, but that wasn't to be either because Carter Holtz approached us and he said, well, we want you to set up here too. Right. As well. So so that was get another one, get going fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So just uh, backing up a wee bit, like I'm just interested to know after after the 3070 and an S line and then stepping into a W model, like the the, the com- comparative between the two, like trucks, anything stand out? Like anything like from someone who executed the Max from both brands? I guess the um, Kenworth are probably a little bit more rugged. Right, yeah. In their suspension. Yeah. Um, I, I think if the International had a fault at the time, I'd... I just felt they were a bit light in their suspension. Yeah. Uh, especially the front suspension. Yeah. Very yeah, small yeah. spring shackles and uh, spring pins and things like that. Yeah. Whereas the Kenworth had a much bigger shackle system and big thread-in pins and, I mean, they were, they were almost bulletproof, you know. Yeah. Um, not that it didn't give trouble, but it wasn't anywhere near as much as most others, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was one, one thing I sort of liked with them. But, I mean, the rest is fairly basic. Yeah, you know, cosmetic stuff. A lot of it. I mean, between the cabs and that, yeah, uh, I guess for for comfort, the S line was pretty much way ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess made it to the lighter suspension for one. Yes, yeah. And they did have a better seating arrangement. Yeah. Um, that seat I had in the in the S line was um, a sprung seat. Yeah. As well as a, a big air system that. Right. That, yeah. Oh, it must have had a three or four hundred mil movement. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You could adjust that air pressure to suit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you you, you just floated there. And they, they were very. Whereas the 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 ninety fours were a bit cramped up. Yeah, and had those smaller um, yeah seat systems that didn't give much movement. Yeah, and they were probably a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, as the driver, you're yeah. spending a lot of time. Yeah, well, there's you know no logbooks in those days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But. Uh, Maybe not one thirty a.m. to ten p.m. at no, night. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, those days were gone. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And so, yep. So, Trendy arrives. Triple four powered T six fifty. Tell mm. me what the, what is it with a T six fifty that just presses your buttons? Oh, the you know high bonnet shape. Yeah, you know, the sloping bonnets and made them a very aggressive looking um, piece of kit. Yeah, I thought. You yeah, know, they, they they did stand out. They were quite. Um, I, I thought quite impressive. Yeah, machines. Yeah, I mean the the bottom bases were not a hell of a lot different. Yeah, to most others. Yeah, but it was just you know the cab design and yeah and the performance of the old triple four was pretty good. Yeah, they were a good motor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit of cooling trouble at one point, but um, but uh, yeah, on the whole, she was a pretty good piece of kit. And of course, Ken Hill drove that truck for, mm. for years, yeah, didn't well, he, Benny Hill? Ken came in and he uh, he went to Taupo. And, Set up camp there, yeah, and um, and um, took control of the operations down there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And of course, the Mademoiselle, the W model, would have been was the that was the first uh, that was the first truck to have the livery as we as we yeah. knew it. Yeah, that was yeah. the that was the yeah. that was the cornerstone. The that was the standard. Yeah, That's right. Became yeah. the standard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was something just to make it look a little bit quite nice and not too extravagant. It yeah, becomes too big a hassle to. Get them set up in the first place. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And of course, then along comes nineteen ninety three and Fonga Power. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, everybody been keeping their eye on Fongapoa. Um, as a forest that was coming on stream. So, so, so just I've only just thought about this right now. Mm-hmm. So I've jumped in over the top here. But sorry about that. But I've just thought you would have been you would have remembered being planted. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Although I had no part in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and living in Coromandel, I mean, the forestry was always set up there, planting back in the early day. Yeah. Um, and that's so. Yes, I do recall that. Yeah. The forestry getting planted over there at yeah. the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. We ended up, um, um, we ended up uh, working in that forest. Yeah. But um, of course, that our operations in um, in in Fomapoa, uh, came about by um, our association with DJ. Back to the back to the yep yep you back know, to the association. Yeah. A good working relationship with um, with uh, DJ, and um, he rings me up one day in typical DJ fashion. You know what he's like. Hey, yep. champ. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing about Wangapara? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, him and I got talking, and so we decided to tend for the contract. Yeah. And so we went into it together, and um, and we both put uh, fleet of trucks in, and so that was the start of building up for, for that. Because yeah. uh, like like having having been in there and amongst it at the time, you mm. know, a, a big move for him, but mm. shit, a big move for you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And short time, <laughs> again, <laughs> again. <Yeah. laughs> and the two trucks you put in there, like obviously you had you pulled Trendy home from mm. Ta- Taupo mm. and finished, hadn't it? Mm. Uh, yes, we we bought it back. Yeah, yeah. And so you had the W nine two four driven by Lance Paul, yeah, and the um, six fifty with Ken Hill still yeah. on it. Yeah. And you chose two very interesting trucks yeah. to put in there: two Smack Superliners with four hundred horsepower motors. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that. You know, we sort of thought, oh, we'll, we'll give the Max a go. And DJ said, well, hey, you can get a couple of Max through us, yep. through him. And um, if we wanted to go that way, so I sort of um, always liked the um, always liked the Superliners. Yeah, yeah. They're a good-looking, good-looking bit of kit. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know? yeah. Very good-looking uh, bit of kit, yeah. But I, hadn't heard, I had heard a few, and I'll probably get shot down by a few Mac people here. <laughs> Um, Don't worry, they'll never find you, mate. Yeah. You would have to know where to go to find this place. <laughs> um, yeah, I say it, I didn't like the V8s. Yep. Um, you know, that um, some of them did give a lot of trouble. Is that you didn't like the V8s because of anecdotal what you'd heard? Because you love the V8 and the Inter. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it's, not an, it's not a configuration no, issue. No. Look, when I was with Freight Lines, I had a bit to do with in the workshops, yeah, and I had a bit to do with some of the V8s. Oh, that original 325? Yeah, that, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, something that gave a lot of trouble. Um, all the little stuff, but it was all stuff that stopped them going to work in the mornings, and and, and that's how I thought, oh, I didn't really want to go down that track, you know. So, so I sort of thought, well, we'll stick, stick to uh, something simple. Mac Boy said that, uh, well, they put the 400s in there, you know, and they were, they were going well, and DJ had a lot of the 400s. Yeah, and has other trucks the same motor, the E7s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, they, you know, they worked um, really well. What, uh, what made so the superliner thing was because he was going CHs. Yeah. He put four CHs yeah. on. You put two superliners. Yeah. And so it was a cosmetic thing that made you choose yeah. the superliner. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. a better looking truck. Yeah. Yeah. To me. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so the, um, yeah, I, I sort of. I know that the you know the trends were going to the CH type style, you know, rounder. And, 
yeah. all that sort of thing. That's fine too, you know. I mean, they, they had their own good things going about them. Yeah. Um, but I just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And might have a little bit of an ulterior motive, but I have my own one driver that likes superliners too. Right. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Harkner. Yes, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, we're visitting Mr. Harkner soon. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, good yes. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't you worry about that. And he knows I'm coming. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Lay it on him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just digressing for a moment, you've seen Alan Tanner's restored the original 380 cat. So I hear. Yeah. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. <sighs> just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was in it was in our yard, or my ex-yard. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, Grant Austin um, texted me and said, oh, you want to want to see what's here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, I was up here, so I couldn't. Yeah, so yeah, I think you sent a photo of it. But anyway, yep, I digress. Yeah, yeah. so yep, two superliners are yeah, and you've got the Harkman lure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it worked. <laughs> and it worked, worked. yeah, it did, it did too. Yeah, yeah, and of course the late Brian Hunt as well. That's right. Yeah, came in That's and right. drove. Who had Super Tramp and Supernatural, weren't they? Yeah. Um, well, you've got me there. I can't remember who had who. Someone Super will tell us. I think John had Supernatural. Yeah, I've got a funny feeling you're mm. right too. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And I've got to say, like I remember it was a couple of occasions, because in the JV between Masters and Provincial, um, we sort of all sort of pitched in at times. Mm. Um, and my um, ultraliner was off the road for a service. Mm. And a couple of times I remember, and one of the boys was away, and, and I had two instances where I, I did a day on one of those superliners. Mm. Mm. And um, they were beautiful yeah. trucks to drive. Yeah, my God, they were beautiful yeah. trucks to drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, you know, the old Mac box was a, a good yeah. box, you know. And yeah, yep, and so onward and upward at Whangapau. Yeah, so, um, that, yeah, that was, uh, wasn't was a big output uh, initially. Yeah. But as they upgraded their um, their uplift, well, we had to, uh, to come into the party and get a bit more kit in there too, you know. Yeah. A bit more gear, but, uh, yeah, the operations in Whangapau were pretty extensive. Yeah, that's right. I remember that first winter yeah. of 93, the roads were pretty bloody green as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the hills were pretty steep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think the next one there was the Tri-Drive. So just for listeners, uh, sorry, that just say Whangapau Forest is an um, uh, exotic pine plantation forest. Um, probably, would you say, a two to three hauler operation average? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at, one, the one, at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of in and around the hills above Coromandel. Was that the best way for lay people? Would be, wouldn't it? Sort of yeah, up in the, the high the, country behind Coromandel. On the eastern side of the peninsula. Yeah, yeah, yeah dominantly eastern side, eh? Yeah, yeah, that would be fair enough, yeah. Yep, and so we're in there and amongst it in the mud and the rain and the green roads. <laughs> it's funny how it rains when you get into those Coromandel hills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. We are, our first our first attack at the traction issue was triple drives, wasn't that's it? That's right. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they were building, operating out of some very steep areas. And, and uh, Ernsthal did say that they they required dry drive equipment. Yeah. That was their uh, their request yeah. in the contract. So uh, so we were working towards that. And uh, a DJ put the dry drive max on and I put the dry drive into, um, Western Star on. Yeah. And that. So um, they, they both gave their problems. Yes. They were just... To me, they were just too heavy on the tri drives. Yeah, I remember driving Neville Sherex out one day with a load of longs on in the rain, and it went and it went well straight ahead, but it yep. only went straight ahead. Yeah, they didn't like going in the <laughs> corners <laughs> on, a, on yeah. a single steer. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think uh, we measured the distance on one of our sets of tyres. I think we got five and a half thousand out of the yes. series, I think it was. Yes. Um, that's pretty horrendous when you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They give the cost model a lashing. Yeah. 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 So there's no doubt about it, they could climb hills. Yes. Yeah. So I said going straight ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but of course then arrived central tyre inflation and that changed the world overnight, mm, didn't it? It did, yeah. Suddenly yeah. the tyre drives were um, out of it. Yeah. Um, and like across the country, mm, what, what, like there was piles of axles mm, everywhere, mm, wasn't there? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, yeah, I mean that central tyre inflation, you know, was really good for traction. Yeah. Hard on tyres. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says, they were, they were extremely hard on the tyre walls. Yes. Um the, uh, you know, like, it, it was probably better in the later models of, of the uh, central tyre inflation where they were, um, uh, if you reached a certain speed, they would automatically pump up. Yeah. But some of the early ones didn't have that. Yeah, if you forgot, yep. then you were powering up the highway yep. at 30 psi. Yep. <laughs> and you weren't going <laughs> to carry on up for much longer because <laughs> yeah. everything was going to go pear-shaped. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, you'd be sitting on eight flat tyres. Yeah. And, you know, there were little things like the drivers would come in at night and if they didn't turn the taps off, all the taps on the wheels, uh, they'd, they'd arrive at three o'clock in the morning to go to work sitting on eight flat tyres. Yeah. If one was leaking. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, they just... Yeah. You know, uh, and they're all off the bead. And, yeah. And uh, so there's all sorts of nasty things <laughs> going on. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and like, you know, I suppose, yeah, as... The thirty odd years or twenty eight five mm. whatever it is years since it's been around, like mm. even the tire technology now is yeah. probably yeah. they haven't yeah. made yeah. sidewall specific yeah. CTI yeah. tires, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I had a little bit of a, a discussion with John Long because uh, he was in the transport department. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Of, of the vehicle testing and that, and and you know he, he sort of I expressed my not dislike but concern. Mm. I guess over central tyre inflation for some of those reasons and and uh, and that and he he was good enough to follow up yeah on some of those things and I and uh, some of the design people that were um, involved with the lawmaking of it um, one of them got in touch with me and we had a discussion about about those things to try and improve on them you know yeah but you still can't get away from the mechanics. Yeah, of driving to turn those taps off or the automatics. Yeah, systems coming coming through. You know. Yeah. But, um, but anyhow, they're there. Yep, and they ain't going away. They're not going away. Yeah, and it's finding itself in more and more applications mm. now. And I think mm. it, it, it's certainly come a long way from because I, yeah, I remember those days of those yeah, yeah of yeah you know that that sort of yeah it's uh it's a great system but it's in its yeah. infancy. Yeah, and I was dead against them on the trailers. Yeah, I could never understand that. That was seemed ridiculous. Yeah, you actually want your trailer to be as tight as you can. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're just back to square one if you let oh, its tyres down yeah. as well. Yeah, they were dreadful. Yeah, you know. But of course, you know, the forest companies would say to us, "You need to have them on the trailers," you know. And um, and so we did put them on there, but oh, they were no end of trouble. Yeah, absolutely no end of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Worse, worse still, when you're trying to get the COG down. Yeah. So we're using as smaller tyres as possible yes. to get the COG down. Then you had to put central tyre inflation on them, yeah. which they those those short wall tyres can't stand. Don't like it at all. They can't stand that low pressure. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
and too many points to leak, you're charging up the axle. Yeah. The air hose went into the centre of the axle to, to go out to get into the, the um, um, what do you call those things on the end? Yeah, the spindles. Spindles. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. Uh, to, get in, to get into the yeah. hoses to get to the tyres, it all came, all came through the centre of the axle. Yeah. Just too many points to leak. And, of course, you're almost heading back to... You're creating the original problem because you're increasing the rolling resistance. The yeah, entire unit makes yeah. the drive wheels harder to pull, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, um, is that Western Star was a good truck to you? No. Oh, really? <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. your second one was, eh? Your, yeah, your second one's been a great machine. Marvellous. Huh? Marvellous machine, yeah. 4884 Series 1A. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Fabulous to drive. Yeah. Yeah, but the first one, no, we didn't keep it for a long time because one, just what we talked about, CDI came wrong. Yeah. Uh, two, we had a lot of issues with that particular truck, and um, diffs couldn't really stand the, um, the the front diff especially. It was probably it was the type of suspension they used on uh, on on the tries at the back. Yep. Um, and and they wobbled, you know, like. Like when you put it in gear to take off, the front diff would stand up. Would would stand want to stand up, so the drive shaft's like that. Yeah, and then she would lock up on the on the on the drive shaft on the U joint. Yeah, and of course, um, of course, got to go somewhere. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, and of course, uh, the second and third diffs are doing the same thing. Yeah, because um, they'd all go back together. Yeah, like that. Whereas the, the Max didn't have that. They had a different suspension. Yeah. And so their diffs were more, more lock solid. Yeah. And they couldn't rock like that. But yeah. the type of suspension that was on that Western Star uh, allowed them to rock. And so you, you had um, had three drive shafts to deal with. And they all didn't like what was happening. To them. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and we, we, um, we didn't have any actual diff trouble with the second and third diffs, but we had a lot of trouble with the first diff on yes. the divider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tearing the power divider to pieces. Yeah. yeah. And then the reverse to that is going downhill, and of course engine brakes are so severe. Yeah. Like they've, they've got a lot of horsepower in, in retardation. Yeah. Um, the diffs roll down. Yeah. See? So then you've got the drive shaft like that. Yeah. And so and then you put the power on, they go like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a dreadful thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it was just probably not, not a suspension that was... Uh, Favourite train. Yeah, we were quite glad that... Um, CDI in this particular case. <laughs> yep, yep, and of course the log cut eventually changed, and you had to go all the way back to where you started with cab over trucks. Mm. Yeah, mm. first K model, Kenworth, yeah. yeah. number twelve, yeah. K one hundred G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, they started um, well more eight meter stuff, eight yeah. point two meter. Yeah, some of them were eight point three, and tolerances were very fine in terms of distances between. IBS was pretty yeah, that's right. marginal. That's right. Yeah. In fact, yeah, they, they were just too tight. Yeah. Uh, on the, that was on the long nose conventionals. Yeah. Uh, cab overs, they could, they could uh, deal with that quite um, easily. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because you prefer a bonnet if, you've, oh, if, yeah. you, if, you'd lo- yeah, if you can have yeah, a bonnet, you'd yeah. prefer it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course, that's where it, where it went. It never really went back, did it? No. But you had the two. You had two second-generation T650s, though, didn't you? You had the two mm. later model ones. Mm. Yeah, mm. That, yeah, they were brought in for long power. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they were just all you know, dealing with the local mills, tanners, yeah. mill, all that sort of thing. There was a lot of local stuff going. And so like, enough shorter cuts to keep yeah. those two trucks yeah. busy. Yeah. 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 And so how many years at Whangapara? 
1991 we started there. I think it was, 1992? Yeah, well, uh, that was roadlining. Because I know me and Benny Hill were in and out with yeah. of roadlining up to five crossroads. Mm. Yeah, they were there. Mm. Spaghetti Junction. Spaghetti Junction, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pete the other day, because he's working out of there. Yeah. A bit. And he said they opened up Spaghetti Junction again. Is that right? So yeah. that's third, third time around. Third time around, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have to go for a ride, huh? Yeah, I'd want to. Yeah. Of course, it's all been sold now, too, eh? Yeah, yeah it has. Yeah, mm. yeah. Grant was uh, talking to Grant the other day. Mm. So, um... So what year, what was your last year in logging? When did the RFH buy the business? 2013. Oh, yeah, that long ago, yeah. already. Yeah. Almost a decade. Yeah. And the great thing about, uh, you, I always take my hat off to the Sargentons for, for the, retaining liveries. Oh, absolutely. Like, just yeah. hats off yeah. to them yeah. for that. Watch horns yourself. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. it's so, you know, brand new K200s in the yard now yeah. in the old yeah. colours. Oh, very impressive. Oh, it's neat, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Real cool. Real yeah. cool. I mean, I, re- I always like seeing them on the road, you know. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't know who's driving them now. Driving <laughs> <laughs> up the coast the other day, the other morning I come up earlier, past seven of them between Thames and Coromandel. Yeah. 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 And I waved all of them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's cool. Because you're seeing, yeah. you know, like what yeah. it, what it, what it was yeah. headed to become, you know. Yeah. So were you, 2013? You must have been right on the cusp of nine axles and 50 max yeah. and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So did you actually yeah. buy a nine axle no. unit? No. no, no. Now the last uh, we bought two new uh, 200s, which was number five, the eight, the, the eight wheeler and four axle. No, it was uh, 25. Oh yeah. 24 and 23. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were the last two hundreds. Right. That um, that I that I bought. Yeah. Uh, and they were all four axles. Four axles. Yeah. One was rigged up to twelve meter cartridge on the trailers. Yeah. yeah and we we're doing that out of two rainy. Yeah. Um, to, um, to the mount. So yeah, the next round would have been the five axle yeah. trailers. And, and what's your thoughts on the where it's at nowadays? With like this, this like not on the peninsula, mm-hmm. obviously. I don't know. But, you know, like 58 tonnes, you know, I was talking to a driver, I was talking to a guy who was driving a 60-tonne mm. HPMV truck, and, mm. and it's just amazing where they can get those now. Mm. Once upon a time, a highly restricted weight, and, and where his permits will actually let him get is, right. is boggled my mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, they haven't it's, improved the road. It's, it's fabulous. Don't you start me on the roads, Mary Masters. <laughs> That's bloody. The driveway up to your shed's better than the state highway one at the moment. Yeah. It's, uh, and power. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've know, you got your six and 700 horsepower on the roads these days that yeah. can handle a lot of this stuff. Yeah. 3,000 yeah. 3, newton-metre motors mm. with 2,700 foot-pound. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's so geared up for it now, isn't it? Yeah. Like that. It's just yeah. fabulous what's out there. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it's so good we've got the drivers that can can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the drivers are talented blokes. Yeah, yeah. You'll get no argument from me. I'm the biggest driver groupie there is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always have our problems with some drivers, but on the whole, you know, drivers are salt of the earth. They do a they do a massive job. Yeah, they don't get a lot of thanks for it. Straight gun barrels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll tell you how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah what a fantastic journey. Like mm. from. You know, they keep coming back to the peninsula, mm. started with logs, started with native, mm. came back, built the road, mm. built the business that used the road. Mm. Like you've, 
plenty to reflect on and plenty yeah. to be proud about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's been. I mean, it's been a, a fabulous line of business for us. It is. Yeah. You know, it suited us. I mean, Mary looked after the office. Yeah. And uh, and all the office staff. And Peter looked after the workshops. Yeah. And uh, I sort of operated between, and that so it was like a, a real family business. Yeah. Well, it was. A, it yeah. was. A, it was. Yeah. It was not like it was a family business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, it was really good to uh, to have that um, backup from the, from the family when you. When the hard decisions have to be made, yeah, it's not such a lonely spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can be lonely at the top. Yeah, yep. very lonely. Yep. At the end of the day, everyone's eyes look at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you make a bad decision, well, it affects a lot of people. Yeah, including yourself. Yep. Yep. So it's good when you've got family around you to talk about some of the, the tight things, yeah, the hard things, and uh, get a few different perspectives before you make a decision. Yeah, what a great that's wise counsel. Mm, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, mm. yep. And and that can extend to trusted confidants too, can't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, exactly. people that you trust and people exactly. that you mm. yeah respected the thing mm. of, and you know mm. you don't you don't put it all on your own shoulders. Mm. You know, eventually you have to make the decision. Exactly. But, but exactly. Get as much. You should take a little bit of counsel from yeah. whatever's going around. Yeah. I mean, some things are straightforward, so that's yeah. fine. It's the it's the difficult things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of either expanding. Yeah, or retracting. Yeah, yeah, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, so uh, it could have good consequences or bad consequences. Yep. Still at the highlight when the new red goes on the road. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Mm. Yeah. You know, because often what is it four to six months we went from when you order them? Yeah. Before they go on the road. Yeah. It, it, you know, like. Sometimes you get a lot of work dumped on you and you might go out and seek a lot of work and suddenly you've got it and suddenly you, you think, oh, God, what am I going to do this with? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, the, you know, your preferences, or my preference has always been Kenworth. Yeah. You know, they're a good, solid workhorse. Yeah. You can't always buy them. Or, you, you know, at the time we were dealing with Ken, he, um, he, um, he'd say, look, mate, we can't get it here within, you know, four or five months. Yeah, you know, the contract starts in two months. Yeah, it? I need it Monday. Yeah, <laughs> so you start ringing around. Yeah, you, you end up getting. Sometimes you end up buying plant that you don't always want. Yeah, but at least you've got it. Yeah, and um, yeah, sometimes those things pay off. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you think of a bit of plant that you had to buy that was uh, second option while you were waiting for first option that ended up being a bloody good vehicle? Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to say that a lot of the second options were. I wished I hadn't. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Golden. Um, you know, he was always hard on the not buying second-hand things. Well, it's such hard country. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. If you if you if you yeah. if you haven't known it from when it was yeah. new, or some, and even if it's an honest truck, if it's given its heart and soul to someone else, yeah, yeah. they always give their, their you know their best. To the first buyer, no, the first owner. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that happened with us, you know. Yeah. We only ever had one second-hand truck, and that was Clary's. Yeah, the Mountain Cat? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah, we paid for that. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And, uh, but it would have meant to an end, one of yeah. to get his work. Yeah. 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 But um, that's just the way it goes. But, uh, it, it's, it, it's a bit disappointing, though, when I say there was none, really, that, 
fact is, we, we did have a few odd boards that, you know, I, I can't actually say in all honesty, they were bloody good wagons. Yeah. They weren't. Yeah. They were nothing but bloody trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you've got to poke new gear at that country, don't mm. you? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I remember one truck I bought off Kenworth. It was a new one. It was just they had it in the yard. And Ken went and said to me, you better be quick if you want it. So I just made a snap decision and said, right, get it down here. And that truck turned out to be the best Kenworth I reckon we ever had. Oh, what was that? Which one was that? Yeah, 19. Oh, the cat-powered? Yeah. The one Yogg's on now? Yeah. It's been a toilet, hasn't it? Oh, mate. Yeah, yeah, the C-15, isn't it? Yeah. And you're not a cat man. <laughs> <laughs> I am now. Yeah. You are now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still in that plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the toot yeah. every morning. Yeah. I, Where's um, now? Yo. Oh, take it Yeah. Ah. That's got to be one of the best trucks ever. Yeah. You know, it's just given no grief. Yeah. A couple of little things, but that's, that's nothing. Yeah. But um, Just gone and got another load. Yeah, yeah. And sweet to dry. Yeah. Everything just sweet. Yeah. Yeah. He had it in the, in the yard up there, and really the only difference, if I'd have ordered it, the only difference would have been, I think Pete said, 50 or 80 mil in the, in the wheelbase. Yeah. He would, have, he would have required it 80 mil longer. So it had come in to be a freighter. A yeah. freight truck. Yeah. But they didn't take it for whatever reason. Yeah. And so Ken reckoned he rang me. He said, try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a million mile club in the magazine, and um, the old number seven that Pete yeah. drives. Yeah, 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 she, yeah. She, she appears in that yeah. this month. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good toilet. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, any truck that can do a million miles, yeah. basically spending its whole yeah. life carting out of here. Yeah, yeah. Is, deserves a plaque and a yeah. cap. Oh, yeah, well, it's one and a half million out in the highway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And he said, "What did he say?" He said, "It's done one point nine with a rebuild it yeah. with a rebuild at a million. He said, "Yeah." yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's a lot of operators these days, they are waking up at last. I mean, they are looking after their fleets yeah. more now than what they used to. Yeah. The old days, they wouldn't all change them. And yeah. They didn't. You know, they were just put to work and keep on working until something busted or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, a different culture. Yeah, there is a different culture out there yeah. nowadays, I think. And, of course, you've got fleet maintenance plans yeah. as well. Where yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's causes? Why is this? Well, you know, um, I think um, the NZTA have, have sharpened up. Yeah. You know, these roadside checks, they, yeah. they, they're a good thing. Yeah. They keep everybody on their toes. And, yeah. And I'm all for it. Yeah. You know, nothing used to please me more than to hear a driver call up and say he's been called in for a roadside check and everything's good. Yeah. You know, and so that to me is a, is a hands up for, the, for our workshop. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But my brief to Pete was all trucks must, you know, be legal on the highway. They all must start in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that helps. And they yeah. all must work and come back at night. Yeah. You know, with no hassles. Yeah. Because of bad maintenance. Or yeah. Like that. Yeah. And yeah, he was, he was pretty sharp on it. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, well, that's been an absolutely fascinating... Uh, that was exactly the uh, chat I was hoping it would be. Oh, good. Yeah, and uh, so thanks uh, for your time and uh, for giving us a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon looking out at Port Charles and talking about pulling wood off the Coromandel yeah. and building roads. Yeah, okay, thanks, Trevor. Our pleasure. Thanks, Mary. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Thanks for being part of it. And it's time now to talk. Is it the official title, the Rig of the Year, Dave? Uh, yeah, uh, Top Truck of the Year. 
top yeah, truck. Okay. Yeah, it's our top truck poster of uh, each month. And so what happens there, Mo, just to fill you in, is uh, we have the 11 top trucks of the 11 magazines, like the monthly winner of the top truck poster, and then we chuck it into the public cauldron to vote, and they decide which one they want as their uh, top truck of the year. Have we got a winner, or what's well, going on? Yeah, well, yeah, we do, but my goodness, what a story, what a story. And this truck, actually, you know, in many ways, the tr- it's so fitting for the truck that won it because it, 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 t- it typifies... You know the truck is the uh, is is the heart haulage anti uh, bullying Western Star. It won unanimously, but interestingly, like it, it was still it was, it was still a reasonably close fought race. Um, but the truck the truck uh, the theme of the truck is obviously resilience and and my goodness, talk about talk about the appropriate truck to win it because just after the hit, we had the vote, Auckland went into the Dome City lockdown, so the track was the truck was trapped in the Dome City last August September, so we couldn't get to it to give it its prize. Just after the Good Mother of the Nation released Auckland from the Dome, a loader a loader inadvertently did some minor cosmetic modifications to the front of it, and so. <laughs> And so that so that had to be repaired over Christmas. And so we got this bloody window of opportunity last month and we were like, give it the prize. So six months after it won, it's normally a, a month after it wins, but six months after it won, we met uh, Barry and Josh Hart, Captain Carl and I, Gav was away on assignment somewhere. Isn't that right, Carl? And we presented, yeah. The, yeah, we presented the painting, the picture and the voucher yeah. for the tyres. It was actually quite funny though. It was, it was that comment that was made that um, it was basically, it was um, in, a, in a fert shed, um, uh, or grain shed sort of unloading and so forth and it was swinging around to um, to be you know sort of uh, put in position to tip off and so forth and the loader came back and hit it in the snout and it was a bit like the bully being bullied sort of thing it was like a you know there was a, a big bully, a big bully in there punching the truck in the nose sort of attitude so it, it bounced back though I mean the boys the boys have done an amazing job you wouldn't even know looking at it yesterday we, you just couldn't pick it it's um, absolutely oh, look great, look it's great. A, yeah no Josh keeps it keeps it sharp and um, but yeah great family great story and uh, very fitting winners and hey, just a huge shout out to huge shout out on the podcast. Can't say enough, Dave Lester and the team at Power uh, Retreats for their just yep. endless support of the top yep. truck yep. Uh, monthly yearly prize. Just yep. they have yep. great bloody people at Power Retreats, mate. And I yeah, hear their well, tire, their, their, their recaps are every bit as good as their as their yeah. cu- as their culture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, for Dave to jump in the Utahns, you know, like at last minute, sort of, um, you know, sort of, we organised it all sort of over the weekend. Sunday afternoon, he's jumping in the Ute to drive to Auckland to stay in a motel to come to us, you know, on uh, Monday lunchtime, do the presentation, and literally turn around and head back to Napier. Yeah. What a man! What a man! This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Uh, I think we might head off to Aussie with Mike Williams. Firstly, a little waltzing Matilda. Oh, brother. And his wisdom is going to start with a Kiwi joke. Me best Kiwi imagine. How do you know <laughs> you're sharing a house or a flat with a Kiwi? How? Love bites in your lamb roast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another oh, one. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Go, yeah, into I've got it. another one. Who embedded Bill? <laughs> who embedded Velcro gumboots? <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. That's but, uh, awesome. but I'll tell you what, I do love I do love New Zealand. And I'll tell you what I love about New Zealand. Fred Dagg, mate. 
Yep. If it weren't for your gumboots, where would you be? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Hey, listening to uh, last night's uh, uh, podcast and uh, really interesting interview with uh, Pete Cowan from The Rail. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Queensland Rail have, have uh, come on board and they've sponsored a, a bit of a safety program on the podcast, uh, level crossings and things like that. And Pete was first up. We're going to be doing a few more interviews with engineers talking about rail bridge strikes and all that sort of stuff as well. So uh, had a bit of a laugh. He doesn't have a Casey Jones hat. That disappointed me. So I had to send yeah. him one of our podcast hats. So. Yeah, and it's interesting because you wouldn't, well, I think they probably do. Like you wouldn't, if you were going to row across the harbour, you wouldn't row across in front of the Merce container ship. But people don't no. seem to have the same sort of caution when it's like a train. No. Yeah. Never ceases to amaze me, mate. You've just got to have a bit, bit of a bit of a Google uh, or use your favourite search engine, you know. Yeah. And uh, I saw one the other day where a car had actually stopped behind the boom gate, decided we weren't waiting anymore, drove around the boom gate, and then got cleaned up by the train. Yeah. I mean, just... Just stupidity. And, of course, then you back it down a size to us on the road and trucks and B-trains and trailers and semis and God knows what, and people have yeah. even less concern about pulling out in front of it. But even if you're in a Toyota Corolla and 50 max, 50-ton, 60-ton, 70-ton, Australia, 150-ton clobbers, the Corolla's yeah. not going to come off that well. Yeah, well, they don't understand. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually lost a Commodore wagon out of the bonnet of a 909. Yeah. You, know, you can't see them from the driver's seat. You guys are underwater. You've got all our water for a change. That's right, yeah. We've got a bit going on up there. The uh, the uh, highway north from a place called Tinton Bar up towards uh, through you know, through the uh, the northern rivers there, that's all uh, all closed. So that's the main highway. If you want to get from Sydney to Brisbane now, you've got to sort of go further west up the old New England or even further west again to the Newell Highway to try and get across. But then you've got all the other little areas on the towns of those roads that have got their own particular issues. Yeah, and it, last month when I was talking to you, it was the Stewart Highway that was flooded out and blocked and bluggered just above the gutter yeah. somewhere. That's right, and they're still repairing the railway line. Yeah. So, you know... So- the, cha- the, 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 the channel country must be flowing like a big river. Well, I haven't seen any aerials of it, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised. We've got this thing over here, a bit of a project to uh, to send the bloody water down from far north Queensland down down through the western country in New South Wales, and uh, it's sort of getting a little bit of traction. It wasn't that long ago, mate, two years ago, uh, we were having a drought here in Australia. And uh, I organised a water run to take like hundreds of thousands of litres of water out to a country town with no water. <laughs> and yeah. now they're walking around their gumboots. You know? Yeah, I was just going to say, they're looking at it, trying to get a snorkel on special. That's yeah. right, yeah. Some <laughs> yeah. fins and some floaties, mate. Hey, we had a couple of questions over the month coming in uh, from people when I said, um, if you've got a question for Mike and the driving hours, a couple of guys wanted to know how the driving hours work over there in Australia. And I would imagine that'll take about six hours to explain. I was going to say, how long have you got? Yeah. <laughs> We, yeah. we look. There's, there's probably there's, there's several systems of the way things work out here in, uh, in Australia. We've got the heavy vehicle national law, which is sort of enforced by the national national heavy vehicle regulator and the police on the eastern states. In Western Australia, we have a different setup where the police aren't involved in enforcing the heavy vehicle national law, and that's certainly not the case in the Northern Territory anyway. Did an episode of the podcast with Elise. Uh, with Louise Bellato. She yes. is the Executive Officer of the Northern Territory Road Transport Association. She has been since 2009. And her credentials in transport are pretty good. Her old yes. man, Dino, actually, actually has a rest area named after him up there. And really, what a fantastic lady. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, if, if someone called Bilato in the Northern Territory stands up and wants to talk about trucking stuff, you better listen. They were part of, or she was part of, the uh, the initial consultation process on the HVNL. And uh, the Northern Territory and Western Australia chose to opt out, and they went on a more uh, occupational health and safety bent, and the Eastern States adopted the uh, HVNL. We've got the situation here where you can really get bitten pretty hard by the law here in Australia, we had a 65-year-old guy fined um, in the Holbrook local court $37,700 worth of fines uh, for 32 offences relating to the logbook. Jeez. That story's printed in uh, in, our, in our national Big Rigs newspaper. That's the one I write for occasionally. Yep. I just get a plug-in for Big Rigs while I'm at yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just quite amazing that you can get that level of fine. So... To answer your question, there are a standard book which has got 12 hours and you can do your 12 hours. You have to have a break after five and, you know, there are stipulated break time, but 12 hours in a 24-hour period is the maximum. There is uh, uh, what they call a basic fatigue management module that allows you to do 14 hours in a 24-hour maximum. You have to have a seven-hour minimum rest break with both of those options, 17 hours in the day to do your 14 hours work. Right. So if you if you push the start button, you've got then 17 hours to do your 14 hours work with three hours worth of breaks throughout that period. But it's very complicated. It's way too complicated to talk about here. You really do need to sort of have a bit of a look. And it's all there on the NHVR website for people that are really interested. But where, where you fall foul of this sort of thing is that we have, uh, some, we have had some issues with counting rules. So you go to different states and they count the, rule, they count the hours in a different way from different places. Yeah, right. And, yeah. You know, you've got to have your brakes right going forwards and backwards. And although that's changed a lot these days, they go to your last major break, then they count forward from there usually. That's the way they approach it. But a 15-minute break can get you a you know, 600-odd-dollar fine. So, you know, if you, if you make a mistake, it's not that hard to rack them up, as old mate in uh, Holbrook proved just the other day, 65 years old. I fail to understand what possible good a fine of that magnitude does. That one of his offences was he failed to write his odometer down in the logbook. So when you fill out a... Do you guys run a logbook in New Zealand? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you've, got all your, you've got all your information with your driver, your driver's license number, the point you started from, the point you started work. Yep. You have to write your odometer down as well. Yep. And so he didn't write his odometer in on one on one entry. So that means, to me, he's got odometers down in other entries. <laughs> yeah, I do the maths. Do the maths, you know. But he, he didn't write his odometer down in one entry. Yeah, that was one. That was one fine. And you know, if you average out the fines, that's cost him a thousand bucks to not write his odometer down. I just fail to understand at what point this makes any sense. Any any other occupation, if you make that level of administrative error, yeah. which everyone makes, including yes, including yeah. the vehicle safety officers, that oh, you, know, sh- you can't yeah. say that. Yep. You can't Mate, say that. I bet. I bet they've used twink in their life. <laughs> And yet it doesn't cost them a hundred bucks. Their, yeah, their, well, their, their admin guy doesn't come in and say, hey, that reports, you've got the wrong signature on the report. That's hundred bucks. All I can say to you is this. <laughs> yeah. if, if they make a mistake on the ticket when they write it, yeah. they withdraw the ticket and then reissue it with the correct information on it. Our, our logbook rules are really, are really fantastic. I think the rest of the world should follow us because it's simple here. The government tells you when you will be tired. Yes. And yeah. when you won't. So you'll be tired between these hours and these hours. Yeah. And between yeah. these hours and these hours, you'll be incredibly awake, alert, and able to do anything. Well, we have that. We've had that whole situation here. That's exactly how it works here. 
Now, I have had a lot of conversations with uh, a bloke named Adam Gibson. He's a risk assessment engineer. And we've talked about all sorts of things. And uh, the fact that our prescriptive logbook system is not a thing of beauty. Yeah. We're three kings of Orient. It's not a thing of beauty. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not worth worshipping. And unfortunately, the HBNL is a flawed law set. And we've tried to get it reviewed. Uh, we've had the National Transport Commission reviewing the. They've had it just had a crack at reviewing the uh, the uh, logbook laws, and we've discovered that they really still don't know what they're talking about, and they don't want to talk to anyone that knows what they're talking about. I've had Ross Isles on the show, who's a, who's a, um, a professor at Monash University, who's done a lot of work on mental health, and you know you've only got to look at the Quinlan report, which goes back a, a, a couple of years now, uh, decades actually. <laughs> And the submissions that he made to uh, our Senator Glenn Stills inquiry, just to see how flawed the system is, it really does need a root and branch overhaul. Yep, to absolutely. Australia. Yep, yep. Likewise here, and and it's the same with moving to like you know you're talking to moving to electronic logbooks and that. Before they worry mm. about that, they've actually got to get the fundamentals of the law sorted yeah. first. You know. Well, I, I I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a, a supporter of the electronic logbook. Yep, same. Agreed. And the, and the reason why I'm a supporter of it is it would have saved the 65-year-old boat a $37,700 fine yep. because at least your electronic logbook keeps track of yep. the system as it stands. Yep. Um, I don't understand why he handed the logbook over. I mean, yep. at 65, you would think he'd have the common sense to say, oh, mate, sorry, left it at home. I yep. mean, why would you? I just don't understand. You've got to pay, pay for the logbook and then they use the logbook to provide the information You've actually put yourself in. You might yep. as well just go and confess. You might as yep. well just get yep. down on your knees and beg for mercy. Yeah. Yep. Don't, don't keep me going, mate. I'll go all day on this. Yeah, and hey, look, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm 100 with you on. I'm actually a I'm actually pro electronic logbooks for a number mm. of reasons, not the least mm. of which they will do. They will they can only help freight rates. Well, there's um, that too. It's I mean, a, but um, but. If we go through the whole process of bringing them in and making them mandatory and mm-hmm. then revamp the whole underlying process and system that actually drives them, we're going to have mm-hmm. to go through it all again twice. That's right. Yeah. So why not do yeah. it all at the same time? You know, figure out what, you know, figure out some way to recognize, you know, when you're tired and need a break, but then can wake up and keep working for another six, so many hours as long as you have a longer break at the end of that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah. Yeah, well, I've often thought that the you know the, the whole keep it simple, stupid mantra is not a bad way to go, um, and well, uh, that's unfortunately something they don't do. Well, I always remember when I was uh, working at a transport company, and I had a boss, and we used to get all carried away with how fancy and and how fancy, and we could make carting one thing from from A to B for Fred. You know, like we could just think how much stuff we can. And, and, and he always used to stop the meetings and say, okay, hang on, stop. Everybody stop. And we'd sit and you go, this is what we do. We pick up something from Bob, Bob and we take it to Bill and one of them pays. That's right. Right. And it's the same with the logbooks. The sun comes up and 24 hours later, it'll come up again. Yeah. That's, that's where it starts. That's right. Yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> I really enjoy having you. I think it's going to be great as it progresses. No worries, mate. You take care. Okay. Have a good okay. one. Safe trip up to Brisbane and the flood. Take your snorkels and, and your floaties, mate. Take your floaties. <laughs> I will take the floaties. Good on, right, mate. See, see ya. See ya.
Our link to the lucky country, Mr. Mike Williams, of course, has his own weekly podcast, which uh, Dave's talked about, called On the Road. It's a good listen, and it is a weekly one too, Dave, isn't it? Yeah, and they have music. Hey, and just a uh, uh, shout-out to the uh, listeners too. Uh, Mike introduces himself uh, this month in the uh, in the March issue. In the Aussie Angles, it's an introduction to Mike for those that, uh, those that want to have a quick read on what he's done and where he's been. And he, he is an interesting character, and, of course, he's on the road. He's, he's driving a truck as well as doing all the stuff too, isn't he? Oh, yeah, and he's just so the he's – so, he's just, yeah, textbook Aussie. He's as funny as buggery. Okay, let's go to England now and talk to my good friend and ITOY International Truck of the Year. Uh, I'm an associate. He's a jury member. Mate, Wilshires. And, uh, and, you, and you're all uh, – obviously, there's a fair bit going on in Europe at the moment, so – I'm sure a lot of you, all of your attentions are in, in other areas, but uh, we're here to talk trucks. And I understand you've been playing in a quarry for the last couple of weeks with a bunch of tip trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three days, um, lots of mud, seven trucks, absolutely fantastic. We were like pigs in shit. <laughs> That's all. So is that like the Super 7, the Big 7, all submit some sort of an eight-wheeler or something? Yeah, that's right. We had the, had the full works. So DAF CF, um, Evaco X-Ray, MAN TGS. There was a Mercedes Arrow, a Renault C Evolution, Scania PXT, and a Volvo FM. And are they configured as rigids or semi-tipulators? All eight by fours, but the, uh, the DAF is a tri-dem. A lot more popular over here at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what do you do? Just load them up to max weight and see if they'll climb the steepest hill? A bit of everything, really. We're, we're measuring stuff. We're subjectively scoring the cabs. And most importantly, we're seeing who can make the biggest splash and getting the video on uh, Instagram. That's awesome. Yeah, we love that. We love that. And so I suppose if you go into commercial motor online in the next couple of months, you'll be able to see those results, will you? Yeah, you can certainly see the uh, th- those videos I was talking about on Instagram. They're, they're going up at the moment, running the full test in the magazine, and then there'll be a digi version as well. Well, we've had a That's- couple of questions come into us here in the last couple of months from uh, a couple of quarters. And guys that want to know um, how the driving hours works in England. In other words, I'm a truck driver and start a, a my daily job. What am I subjected to in terms of hours of, of operation? Well, we've got exactly the same rules and the same um, digital tech graphs as the rest of Europe. But I'll try and keep this simple because it is a bit complicated. Um, but basically, you mustn't drive more than nine hours in a day, although this can be extended to 10 hours twice a week. So that's 56 hours in a week or 90 hours over two weeks. Right, so as for breaks, you've got to take at least 45 minutes every four and a half hours. And you've got to take at least 11 hours every day, although this can be reduced to nine hours three times between two weekly rest periods. Still with me? Yep. Now, you can also take an unbroken rest period of 45 hours every week, although this can be reduced to 24 hours every other week. On top of all that, there's also the working time directive to consider, which really complicates things. You can't exceed an average of 48 hours a week. Okay, well, that's it's quite a bit to get your head around, isn't it? And that's pretty much a blanket rule like for Europe as far as, like, where does it start? Where do the driving hours start to get a bit maverick sort of in towards the Baltic Eastern states, or is it pretty... Yeah, pretty it, exactly that, yeah. But the whole of the EU uses those rules and and the uk i mean th- there was talk before boris johnson was actually um pm and he was still london mayor he actually singled out the driver's hours rules as something that was wrong with the eu and he wanted them changed well ridiculously he wanted them changed for the smallest firms and not the biggest ones because he seemed to think the biggest firms could cope because they had hr departments but the smaller firms couldn't cope so he wanted it relaxed for them which of course, leads to all sorts of unfair competition and also safety implications as well. So hopefully that won't be happening. What we've had as well during COVID and also during last year's critical driver shortage that we've had here 
They've relaxed the driver's hours rule slightly. They've said you could have 11 hours a day instead of a 10-hour maximum. But that's been so unpopular. Um, one of the main reasons for that is, of course, people don't want to become truck drivers because of the unsociable long hours. So what we're doing is saying, oh, you can work an extra hour or so. So, yeah, it's, it hasn't gone down well. So that's just a temporary thing, though, like they're going to put the clamps back on that at some stage yeah. in the near future? I, I think I think they've just um, just stopped it now, actually. I think it stopped in February. Right. They, uh, so, few, so few companies took advantage of it. It's, it's not even worth talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So moving on to the O word, just to get us, give us a bit of a gauge on on uh, how you guys are going and, and maybe what we're looking at further down the track. Like, where, where's it sitting at the moment, the, the Omicron? You know what? No one's talking about it anymore. It's, it's, it's gone. We're not wearing masks here anymore. That, that stopped uh, a week or so ago. It, it's like, well, the world's moved on. No one, no one talks about COVID anymore. It's incredible. No, but don't you? We had Brexit, then we had COVID, and then, of course, straight on to Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Well, you can tell anyone that if they if they miss talking about COVID, stick them on a plane and come down to here because it's still the topic of the day here at the moment. Now, nah, that's uh, very good. Will, thanks very much for that. We'll touch base again with you next month. And uh, thanks for taking a bit of time out and catching up on the podcast. And uh, remember, everybody, if you've got a question for Will that you want to ask about uh, the situation over there, then uh, in terms of truck driving, then by all means, flick me an email at dave.nztrucking.co.nz and I will put it to him. Take care, my friend. Keep safe and uh, and all the best to all you guys over there at the moment. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. Hi, I'm Brad Gallagher and I drive a Kenworth T909 B-Double for the Ely Beach Hotel up in North Queensland. When I'm trucking up and down the East Coast, I enjoy listening to the New Zealand Trucking Media Keep On Moving podcast. Want to catch the latest truck videos and posts from New Zealand Trucking Magazine? Then hit the like button on the New Zealand Trucking Magazine Facebook page and subscribe to the New Zealand Trucking Magazine YouTube channel. It's time to head over to our fabulous editor of uh, Little Trucker Down Under magazine, Shannon Williams. Hi Dave, how's it going? Yep, fantastic. Yep, we're all good here in the in the studio. And you have got issue number two, Autumn 22, out since we last spoke to you and Millie a month ago. Yeah, so it's our second issue of Little Trucker. Um, really exciting to be able to get another issue out and um, with a whole bunch of new photos, new stories, new activities, really, really cool stuff. Yep. And um, obviously the first one we looked at and we, we thought, far out, that's cool. So we gave it 10 out of 10 and now we're in, in, a, in a bind because this has got to be 10.5 out of 10, obviously, because this has just, it's gone up a notch, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think we've got some even better photos, even more stories, a whole, whole bunch of different things in there that it's really gone up another level. Yeah, yeah, and look, I've said it before. I've said it to the guys. You know, it just I, it blows me away because, like, if this had have been out when I was, you know, at, at the age of the kids that are in this magazine, it, it, I can't think how difficult I would have been to live with because I would have been that excited. And we've got a great example of someone who who got who just absolutely loved seeing his name in uh, in print and his pictures of his trucks and the pictures of himself. Uh, young Thomas Thomas Flower from Christchurch and he even got to uh to present the the school at assembly didn't he with with a magazine and show them all his picture and that yeah so Thomas is a really really cool kid he um he's a professional truck photographer in the making uh he loves trucks he loves taking photos he got his first uh first camera when he was five and has been taking photos ever since so um he wrote us a little story and we've put that in the magazine and uh we heard from him once the mag came in the post and he was so stoked to see his pictures and his story in the magazine and he got to present all his work at his school assembly so um, really cool to see how happy the kids are to see their 
their own stuff in a magazine at that age. Wife Anna and I were on holiday just after Christmas and we were down and around the Maruia area and we stopped at Maruia Springs. And when we stopped, I looked up and one of Brennick's K200s was coming towards us and, um, and it went past us as we were part, as we were getting out of the car. I don't think from memory I got time to, to grab the camera out and take an out and about as it went past. But this young fellow was in the passenger seat and he waved. He gave us a big wave as we went past and we waved back and, and I think the truck tooted. And I, I got a funny feeling that was Dustin. That was Dustin Wright on the trip that he actually wrote about because he talks about going past Maruia Springs and I think we might have fluked it on the day he was with his dad. Yeah, so Dustin, uh, he wrote a really cool story um, about going out with his dad um, on a Kenworth and yes, it looks like you happened to see him while he was a roaming reporter. So really, really cool. Full of plate pictures, Millie's latest outing with her dad. Um, it's just got a bit of everything. The the competitions and the puzzles are all in one area, so you can just keep going back to them and playing the game about the food delivery truck, join the dots, colouring in, whatever it is, whatever it is uh, you're into and you want to do. The question everyone has, oh, and let's not forget our top truck, the the, uh, the Pratt family's magnificent uh, Kenworth Road Train with that very special message on the back. The question that everybody has, Shannon, uh, that we have to ask that everyone's uh, do you actually own all of those dogs that you are photographed <laughs> with on the, in the editor's picture I kind of do those dogs um three of them are mine or I part own three of them and the other one's my mum so I live with three dogs in my house as well as three ginger cats so yeah uh, issue number three winter 22s well on the well underway Yep, so our next issue is our winter issue, which will be really exciting because um, we can expect lots of really cool pictures of trucks in the snow, um, some stories about safety and how drivers learn how to drive on ice um, and those kinds of conditions. So it will be a little bit different from our other two issues. Excellent. Have you got anything you want to say to anybody out there that might be listening in the in the junior fraternity or parents of the junior fraternity? Are you looking for contributors are you looking for for little trucker correspondence do you want some snow photographs for winter you put the call out yeah we would love some photos uh we can never have enough photos of kids in their trucks so if you've got any cool photos of you and your family with a truck or just you in a truck uh, you and your dog in a truck anything that you've got we'd love to see it so you can get in touch with us on our facebook page or um, via email so um just check out our website which we've just launched as well which is www.littletrucker downunder.com little trucker magazines on all the magazine racks or you just uh, email shannon at nz trucking.co.nz dave that's the one okay this is the keep on moving podcast with new zealand trucking media classic truck time and our southern correspondent how about that you got a title dave ching uh, is chatting now with peter turner from peter turner contracting in templeton who's got this amazing range of trucks down there and what are we starting with peter the first truck purchase brand new by my father for his company, BA Turner Limited. He started that in 1949, and so 57 was the first time he bought a brand new truck. It's a one-owner truck, still ours, still, still under BA Turner. Um, recently had just about every nut and bolt taken out of it and replaced the engine's original. I believe the gearbox and the diff is still original, but um, everything else has had a had a pretty big makeover, and she's, she's looking pretty sharp. Does it look fantastic? So you took that to Monica last year? I did. I, I tra- trailered it down there to Wanaka because we'd only just finished the resto. There was a, still a few things to go on it, but yeah, like, I'm very pleased with with the way it's bloody uh, turned out. Eh? It's it's 
It's better than I remember it when I was a kid, eh? So the, the sign writing everything that was put back on the truck, was that all brush painted and done the way it was when BA did it, when it was new? Correct, yeah. I got um, Horton Signs at um, Rangura that do all my sign writing. They um, got the old brush out and put it back to exactly how it was in 1957. Yeah, yeah, we'll just try to keep it as original as possible. There's a few things that probably should have been changed, but that's how it was and that's how I've left it because that's how I remember it when I was a kid and I also drove it when I was 18 when I first got my licence. Yeah. So there's a bit of history between that truck and me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yep. It really is. So what about, I've seen I've seen it with a D2 on it. What's the story with the D2? Uh, the D2 was a later purchase of Dad. I think that was around 1979. That D2 came from Mesopotamia Station, um, so which is also an XBA Turner limited vehicle uh, machine. So, yeah, it's been on the back of it. It's gone to a couple of shows with it on. And, uh, yeah, it's had the spruce up as well and, and tidied up. And it's actually going pretty good too, actually, the wee D2. It's neat, isn't it? Yeah. So out in the shoot at the moment, you've got a 1967 Comma as well. What's I realise it's a nut and bolt resto, that one as well. And there's a bit of bit of interest around the engine and that thing too, isn't it? It's one of the Roots Group TS3s. So it's got six pistons and three cylinders, which everybody looks at like you've lost your, lost your marbles. But they're horizontally opposed. So you've got two pistons in the one cylinder and uh, only one injector in that cylinder as well. So you've got um, two pistons running off one injector. So, yeah, they're a bit of a funny thing. So Dad bought that truck out of Ashburton. and it was um, 18 months old when he bought it in 1968. It's, in, it's a 68. Yeah, so he must have bought it in 69. And we put the deck on it, or he put the um, Steel Brothers. Steel Brothers put the deck and the hoose gear on it. It's, um, yeah, as you, as you know, it's fully stripped down, calves away, completely gutted. Um, just working away on that. We've got a donor truck here to supply us with bits because bits are obviously hard to get. So I'm hoping it'll come up as good as the carrier. And, uh, yes, you'll have that knock-knock knock, knock, knock <laughs> engine going around, going around the countryside. It should be quite cool, won't it? Yeah. Really cool, actually, yeah. yeah. So what about the 68 Commodore that's out in the back paddock? The 68 comma it's got a bit of a history too in Canterbury because um, it was it was uh, Transport Nelson and uh, well, Williams Gawatkin, I think, first, and then Transport Nelson, and then Alan Harrington owned it for a while, and then uh, Dad got his hands on it. It's a Perkins-powered one, 600, 600 Perkins, tractor unit. Um, yeah, it's it's been kept mainly as a donor truck too because it's probably a bit beyond it unless I can find a good, good cab for it. Now, what about the leader, 1973 leader? Right, so the 1973 leader come into my possession because, what was I looking for? I was looking for a deck to go on my Isuzu. Yeah. And uh, the leader was on Trade Me. And uh, I thought, right, I'll buy that for the deck and stuck, stuck it on the Isuzu and, 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 and wreck the leader. So we got the leader home here and... Um, I looked at it and, and realised it's a 1973 and it, its serial number's really, really low. And I realised the history of it with the um, Roos contact up in the North Island at Mercer. And I thought, well, I can't cut this up and send it to scrap. I said, this has got too much history in New Zealand as well. So being the soft-headed bugger I am, we, um, we pulled her down and sandblasted and painted it and did a few brake linings and gearbox bearings and bits and pieces, and yeah, yeah she's, she's parked up in the shed there too. It's neat, isn't it? Waiting for her next job. <laughs> <laughs> we have used it. Like, we've carted railway sleepers with it and a bit of hay with it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a mission to drive it, but that's the way it was in 1973. Yeah, get right about it. So that's a very very low serial number truck out of the leader factory into Warmer as well. Yeah, I seem to remember it's 0027, but I'd have to go and have another look at it. But I, I, it's pre- pretty sure it's under the hundred anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I think they only started making them in, in 72. So it's right there at the beginning, eh? Which is which is pretty historic, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, just about um, be worth more money in Australia than what it is here. I think it probably would be actually, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah, but it, it'll be a shame to lose oh, it. You know, yeah. it, it it needs to go to um, where where it should go to. But mm. um, there's a bit of a discussion going on there. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So what about the um, the VPZI Susie that's back in TNC colours? Well, that came into my possession also um, in a roundabout sort of a way because in 2011 with the earthquakes, we needed a, a tanker, a water tanker, a water cart, and that became available out of Ashburton with a tank on it, an aluminium uh, mobile tank on it. So, so Jane actually shot down and did the deal, and um, my wife bought that bought that and bought it home and because um, we were just bloody nuts at that stage. Bought it home, ran it as a water cart for a few years and then about 2015 I think or 16, somewhere around about there, I thought well we'll take the tank off and put it on one of my Nissans um, just to update the truck a wee bit and then I found out, you know, I found out the history of the truck and realised it was it was first owner was Transport North Canterbury and I'd win my stock carting days uh, I'd done a fair bit of work with Transport North Canterbury. Yeah, so there's a bit of a good connection there, and, and I thought, well, this really can't go to the regs either. So being a marshmallow head I am, um, we decided to, to source out the Transport North Canterbury colours, and we re-sprayed it and put a flat deck back on it to make it look like it was at um, Transport North Canterbury as number 39, way back in 1979. That's cool, that really is. Yep. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get a copy of that and send that up. So, yeah, that's how she ended up here, and uh, I'd quite like it to go to a home in North Canterbury to someone, but um, at the moment I suppose I'm custodian of it, and um, it's still alive and, and it's still registered and, and, and it's still quite a handy flat deck, you know. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. It really is, yeah, because I see it was the original driver Morris McNally. He was, yeah, and, yeah, and he's seen it. With, back on it. Yep, yep, and he's had photos taken with it and sat in it, so that's well, pretty cool. cool. That's neat, isn't That's it? pretty cool, yeah, yeah, it is. That, that really is. And it's a cool old truck to drive, too. She's a good old girl. Yeah. No, a bloody big step up from a TK bed today. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. For the drivers to go from a TK into one of them, like, yeah. yeah. They had a heater. Yeah. <laughs> a radio. And they're reliable. And they're reliable. And 240 horse and yes. the way you went, you yeah, know. Yeah. Quiet has, yeah. reasonably quiet. Yeah. Still reasonably quiet on today's standards. Yeah. And your brakes, too, that yep. worked. Yeah, exactly. Well, what about the, uh, the big orange thing in the shed that you bought in from Australia? Uh, well, that sort of eventuated because I went I went on a classic truck run with the Isuzu in 2016, the top of the South Island, and I thought, shit, this is bloody cool. This, this is great. Meet a lot of guys, um, talk, talk the same sort of shit. And um, I thought, right, I've got to get myself a truck. I've got to get, I've got to get something. And I hunted around New Zealand for um, like a 903-powered Mount Cook truck. Couldn't find one. Um, hunted down a couple of road bosses. And, and played around with a few ideas, and then uh, on on uh, marketplace Aussie marketplace, I think it was this this road boss appeared, and I uh, rang the guy up and uh, had a Cummings engine in it, and I actually missed out on that one. He said, "No, no, we sold it two days ago," but he said, "I've got another one here with a Detroit in it." I hummed and hard, hummed and hard, and then um, he wanted too much for it, and 
I went over and looked at it. He showed me everything he'd done to it, the full rebuild of the engine and, and the diffs and the tranny and that. And I thought, well, maybe he hasn't spent too much. You know, he doesn't want too much for it, um, for, for the dollars he's poured into it. Of course, once I got there and drove it around the great, uh, the vineyard a couple of times, fallen in love with the noise <laughs> of that Detroit, and uh, it ended up coming home. Coming home here, and, and we rebuilt it into the colour it is now. And that's a classic truck run. It does a bit of work on the transport. It's it just, it just done a week, actually, because um, I've got one of my other tractors down, so it's done a week on the transporter the other day. And, uh, yeah, she's she's an 892 with a 20-speed spicer behind it. Yeah, so... Makes a bit of noise, lots of cool. Yeah, she's a, she's a good she's a good beast. One of the best ways of turning diesel into noise. Yeah. Two-stroke Detroit. Yeah. No, that week I had it on the transporter, the amount of people that... I thought, why aren't these people passing me? You know, they're sitting beside me, and there's a bloody there's a phone videoing me. <laughs> they're sitting here. It was weird. <laughs> so, what what was its history in Australia? What did it do? Was it was it a road train? Uh yeah, it hauled triples mainly between Adelaide and Perth, sure, um, most of its life, and then it did a lot of um, prefab houses with um, Steve Graham from Outback Truckers fame. They worked together, uh, Neil. Joe Hanson and Steve Graham, they worked together carting houses for the government, the Australian government, into Western Australia. Yeah. So they'd take these porta, portable houses in. And he said, by the time you got round every village in Western Australia, you'd start doing the lap again because the Aborigines had just trashed them or burnt them or pulled them apart. So sure. he said, we, we did that. I think they did that for about four years, just just continually. Wow. Um, so then, then, as I say, the rest of the time it's hauling freight from Adelaide to Perth. And in its later years, it carted a lot of... We used to go to Sydney to Adelaide getting empty wine, plastic wine bottles, freight up and wine bottles back into the... Um, is it the Barossa Valley um, around Adelaide? Yeah. So then, as I say, he stripped it and started restoring it. It was the one-owner truck. One-owner truck when I got it. Um, he still begs me to, to um, sell it back to him so he can have it back because he regrets <laughs> the day he sold it. So, you know, she's got a lot of history, 5 million Ks on it. Um, being, being a young guy, he bought it at 22, so he just, the truck truck was his home. And uh, he just went, bounced backwards and forwards all over Western Australia. And that's, that was his life. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Gee, I'm surprised he yeah. even let it go with that sort of history, personal ownership like that. Yeah, I'm well, he... he even let it go. He must like you or something. Well, he saw what I'd done to the leader because he went on to, on to Facebook and seen all – because I'd been on the Aussie leader page oh, with, okay. the, with the leader, and um, he told me when I was there, I, I said the same thing. I said, I'm surprised you're letting this go. And he said, well, I've seen what you've done to the leader. And he said, I know it's going to get looked after and it's not going to get cut up. Cool. So, yeah, that, that made me feel pretty cool. Um, but as I say, he's still in contact, and he would still like it back, dearly like it back. But, uh, yeah – yeah, I don't know. He must have had a weak moment, yeah, cause, <laughs> because the, the, we, we spent three days or four days there, and it was on, the deal was on, and then you go and see him the next day, and it was off. No, it's not for sale. Bugger off. You're out of here. <laughs> so we went back to the motel, and then we get a phone call. Oh, you better come back and see him. <laughs> so it was pretty, yeah, I think it was pretty heart-jerking for him, to be honest, yeah. And, and it would be fitting if it went back there, but, you know, like, See what he does. It's, it's actually neat to see like a true Aussie road train prime mover in New Zealand. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's something that's a bit different. Yeah, yeah, long, long wheelbase, and and they were tough trucks. He, he said, you know, they were tough trucks, the whites, and, and 
in yeah, that's just the way it was. An interesting wee story you did tell me. Um, him and two of his mates they bought they bought white road bosses the same time. The three of them they all they all jumped in the deep end, and the other two were Cummings powered, and his was the only Detroit. And I said, so how did they go pulling triples? I said, you know, could you really tell the difference between the Cummins and and the um, and the Detroit? And he said, oh, I don't know. He said, I, he said, I think I made a lot more noise and drank a lot more diesel. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, yeah, yeah, they're really much the same because I suppose at that stage there were only three fifty Cummins probably anyway. Yeah, yeah, and that was probably a bit more in the, in the early days. Um, Maybe 92, yeah. Yeah, so it probably had a bit more up and go. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, tell some interesting stories about it, that's for sure. It's neat, isn't it? 90 tonne, 100 tonne most of the time. And so what's it rate? What's its combination mass rating? Um, I don't know, actually. Is it Dave? <laughs> I think it might only be 80 tonne. But, you see, they didn't worry about it back then. Yes. They just did it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why he went. He went out of that and into, what did he buy? An international eagle. Yeah, to oh, get the rating. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. These things change. Yeah. He bought a, um, some of my money when I paid him went to a dealer in Brisbane, and he bought a Heritage Western Star. Oh, nice. Yeah, with a Series 60 on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he said, don't pay me. He said, just go and buy that truck for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. yeah, so we jacked it up and we paid the deal at, uh, for the Western Star. Yeah, it was a 96 Heritage. Oh, very nice. Uh, yeah, Heritage series, yeah. 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 Oh, they're a nice truck, too. Yeah, the long bonnet. Mm. Yeah, the last of them. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, he's an interesting character. I bet. Yeah. Jeez, you know, it certainly sounds like it was a um, good trip over there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now you've also got um, a couple of tractors in the shed as well, like farm tractors. So I know one of them's got some real significant history. What's the what's the go first of all with the Massey Ferguson? The we thirty five. Massey Ferguson thirty five. Dad was a, a Massey Ferguson man, really, um, with his contracting, and like he had a lot of Fergie tractors, starting with the TEAs, and. Um, in the in the fifties and early sixties, he, he was obviously really really busy, because sixty one he did buy a lot of new gear, and the wee Fergie is a Massey Ferguson thirty five diesel three cylinder diesel, and it's brand new in nineteen sixty one, and it hasn't left the family either or left the company either. Um, I bought it off Dad oh, about thirty years ago. I bought it off Dad, but Dad had those thirty fives. Dad probably had five of them and. At one stage, they were just a great little tractor, and um, yeah, like as I say, when I was doing a lot of driveways with my business, I bought it and we had the blade on it, and um, and and it was painted green in those days, Dad's colours. But I've now restored it back into Messy Ferguson red, and um, yeah, she's she's a good little beast. She's, she's still does an honest day's work on the mower or, or the, the the hay mower or the blade, whatever it, whatever it's doing. So it's a good wee tractor, yeah. 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 And my grandson loves it. He loves sitting on it and, and that's 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 cool. Playing on it. Yeah. Another generation of again has got into it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um that's his great granddad's tractor. So yeah. Which is really cool. Puts it in perspective a wee bit. Yeah, you did right about that. Yeah. So what's what's the go with the international B four fifty? Uh well Dad had two of those as well. That's a that's a sixty one, nineteen sixty one as well, which he bought new and he had a sixty six, I think, which he bought second hand. 
but that one's got hydraulics on it, bought brand new, um, had it right up until mid to late 80s when it was loaned to somebody, um, and it disappeared off the scene for a few years. And I kept, I told a few guys in the international family to keep an eye out for it if it ever popped up. Well, it, it popped its head up last year and got offered back to me to come back to me. So it's back here now and it's going to get a, um, a paint job and a resto. But yeah, I actually drove that tractor a bit too when I, when I was still at school, um, grubbing and harrowing paddocks for dad over, mainly over Sunnyside Farm, which is near where the uh, Southern Motorway is, Crossroads Southern Motorway is. But yeah, I spent a few hours sitting on that old girl bouncing around paddocks. No cab, no no air conditioning, no radio, <laughs> no, no nothing on that old girl. <laughs> Exposed but, the elements. Exposed the elements, yeah, definitely. But um, no, it was a good good honest tractor. Like that, that's all you can get in those days in the sixties. And I looked up the specs on it. It's fifty eight horsepower, I think, or fifty six horsepower, which was probably quite a big tractor in, in nineteen sixty one. You know, um, so as I say, Dad had two of those and. He, he had a mix of international and Massey Ferguson's, but then later on it, it got to be more Massey Ferguson because Len Carpenter was the salesman for Norwoods in Christchurch, and um, he I think he had a pretty good rapport with Len, and I think that's why he basically switched to Massey oh, Ferguson in, in the later years. You know, he was Massey Ferguson solid then. And the funny thing, it's funny how the world goes around because Len Carpenter's granddaughter is now my son's partner. Oh, wow. So it's a bit of a roundabout story to the tractor. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, because he, he was in here, you know, like, uh, you know, one day and I had a, I had the mower on it and I said, you know, your your grandfather sold this to, to my father. And, uh, yeah, she was quite taken back by that age. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is it pretty really cool. Is. Yeah, has it turned out? Oh, it's magnificent. You can't, plan, you can't plan it, but that's how it panned out. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Still, pretty it's cool. Funny. That was Dave Cheng chatting with a passionate collector, Peter Turner, in Christchurch. Have you boys ever been anywhere near his collection at all? No. No? No, not, not yet. Chingy's going to give us a massive tour when we're down there one day. He just doesn't know it yet. This is the Keep On Moving podcast, uh, monthly chat time with Blake Noble, who is the managing director of Transcon in Walkworth. I've had a, a really interesting uh, last few days, last week, to be honest, with uh, our own operation and actively recruiting for a, for a cadet and, um, I guess, dovetailing into what the, the Transport of New Zealand have done with, with their road to success cadetship structure. I've just been absolutely blown away by the genuine interest. All sorts of people that want to be truck drivers fortunate to get some publicity in a few different media outlets. And it has been people of all shapes and sizes, as it were, um, all ages and stages, and people that really have been harbouring a, a desire to get behind the wheel but but really didn't know how to. I think for me it's been a, an enlightenment or a reinforcement that, that we, we are so fortunate. We've got something that a lot of people actually want to do. They just don't know how to get behind the wheel and the opportunity that we have to engage with so many people, that are, many of whom have already got wealth of experience in all sorts of fields and how to yeah, how to engage and, and, and bring that skill on board. It's um, I'd, one, uh, one gentleman in particular who's a, a 77-year-old who always wanted to, to drive his truck. You know, here's someone who, what an amazing, whether it's a, a relief driver or, you know, just someone to help move gear, whatever it might be, ready and willing to um, to get involved. So, yeah, very, very enlightening and, and a positive sign from my, from my perspective as to the underlying interest that uh, 
that continues to exist for, for our industry. You employ many 77-year-olds? I've got one at 72 and one at 74. And they, one, the 72-year-old would be doing oh, 60, 65 hours a week, gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and just that's how he works. The other one would be doing 55, 60 hours a week. I, I think increasingly we're ending up with two sectors of, of, of two groups of people. The people that want to work less and that, that want the freedom of working from home and they want to work at the hours that they work. And then we've got this group that they want to work and they want to work as many hours as they can at whatever hour they can. If that means getting up at two in the morning to go and do the job, it's it. They're onto it. And they get a real pack out of that. And not everyone gets it and we're not all the same people. I fully get that. Horses for courses, I think they're saying. Looking for a used truck, trailer or spare parts? Then visit trucktrader.co.nz. You'll find hundreds of listings available now. Trucktrader.co.nz. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Uh, let's call in the team again and look at the magazine. Now, the magazine was out, well, just a week ago now, wasn't it? Yep, early March. Yep, okay. So we've got Gav, Dave and Carl. Highlight, Gav? Uh, most let's, uh, let's obviously kick off with the cover story on this one, uh, March 2022, can you believe it already? It's, it's a truck that looks modest, but is, is another example of, just being so perfect for the company that runs it and, and the job that they do with it. Um, it's, of course, one of the latest UD Quans uh, belonging to McCart Hyatt's in the beautiful Bay of Plenty. Yeah, and that's a truck I've been really looking forward to doing uh, in this context as well because when UD launched this truck, it was a bit of a groundbreaker back in 2019 because they were pitching the Japanese truck in an entirely new market. So a Japanese truck full of basically uh, tech, safety tech, uh, state-of-the-art safety stuff because this was a platform truck out of, out, of the, out of the Volvo group. And so was there a market for a Japanese truck but bristling with tech? And, of course, McLeod Hyabs and McLeod Crades, the perfect customer, the perfect truck for the perfect customer, a great utility tool. But because of its uh, 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 the guys that own it and the backgrounds they come from, one's military and one's gas and oil, they know how to apply health and safety to a business in a way that's practical, that's that's genuine, and that works. It's yeah. not an add-on to the company. It's it's the, it's part of their DNA. So this truck just fits them like a glove. It doesn't get in the way of what they do. No, yeah. no, no. And they've got the slogan on the back of their trucks and on the, on the back of their work helmets, the good bastards, you know, and that's a direct reflection back to the culture that their dad, Curly McLeod, instilled in the boys, you know, do it well, but, but it's all about people at the end. Then we have another absolutely golden feature um, on Nickel Kane and Turpica Transport. Yeah, well, the livery's still there. It's part of the RTL group now, but Captain K will jump in on here. And, oh. and, so, and like, when we were growing up as kids, yeah. there were some yeah. liveries that were yeah. just... yeah liveries like there were yeah. just some companies that were just everyone aspired to uh, yeah. to want to to want to be take photos of be a yeah. part of um and uh in in the south island nothing exemplified that more than than uh to a peak of transport and craig andrews does a great job in the story of of of, of bringing that out yeah. of of just what a coveted livery and a brand and the cult you know hard-working hard men big trucks 40 years ago absolutely caning it would be the best way to put it far out that that yard of theirs you always pop in there and grab a photograph when you when you you know heading through town um you know it's it's one of those things you know 
little old Lawrence and that in the middle of, middle of nowhere sort of thing. You know, sort of it's, um, but it's just beautiful country. And the, the yard is full of, it's just one of those places that exudes an immense amount of history. You know, the old stone buildings and so forth. And everything. I, that part of the country just always, uh, I love it. Eh? It's just, you never, never get tired of driving through there. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, that, that company, the, the units that have gone through there, the people that have gone through there, the history that's in, yeah, it's a great read, great story. And just harks back to the Trevor Masters interview when I was talking to Trevor about how even though he sold the company to the Sargison family in Rotorua and how they keep the livery alive mm. and how there's still brand new Kenworths coming into the Trevor Masters fleet in the in the two-tone blue and likewise RTL group. Like mm. like all of the companies that are now part of that group, the two are pickers, they're still brand like the K200 in the livery. Yeah. You know, it still, yeah. drops, still drops the jaw every time you see it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a good read there. Yeah, and then uh, we can't, we cannot talk about the March 22 issue without talking about the top track, post track, um, and it's just when you see it, you'll know why it's one that defines standing out from a crowd. I think. Can I talk um, for the rest of the night about the top track? Uh, yeah, you <laughs> probably can. I, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when a C five hundred nine goes on on the road or on the off road or. When the C five nine goes on the off road, it's a big enough thrill from you. But on the very incredibly rare occasion we see one actually turn up on the highway, uh, it's just it's just something momentous. And yeah. the way that uh, Sass Mike Henderson has done this truck, you would think that it took the wrong turn at three ways and actually found the four ways. Yeah, yeah, came across the Tasman. <laughs> and I actually mean, drove across. Yeah. And my goodness, a brand new truck in 2020. With artillery. Artillery wheels. I know, I know. Oh, my oh, That did it for me. That did it for me. <laughs> I, still don't, I still don't get it. Like, you know what? An artillery said that you can change an inside jewel on a set of artilleries in bloody 25 minutes without always yeah. pissing around with torque wrenches. I don't, still don't. That still baffles yeah. me. And, Oh my goodness! The coated tanks, the yeah, the powder coating, the car, like he was yeah. reading the same shit we were at the same age. Of. Yeah, exactly. He was on the yeah on the same page of the magazine we were. And and obviously brought to life incredibly well. Shout out to Andrew Geddes, the photography of Andrew Geddes. Mm. Well, it'd bring a biscuit tin to life, really, if if yeah. uh, if it was voted top truck. And hey, these bloody South Island truck photographers. You know, Craig McCauley, three times winner of the top truck of the year bloody poster. You know, mm. we got we need to go out and do some practice, yeah, boys, because okay. we're being slayed. <laughs> we're being slayed by these guys. Yeah, then we launched a new section in the magazine this month, uh, which aims to tap into some of the hidden talent within the industry and among our readers. Uh, we were sent a creative writing piece by a talented chap by the name of Malcolm McLeod, uh, all about a day at a freight yard. Um, that he, he just put pen to paper and thought, hello, send this in and see, see what the guys think. And we thought, how perfect to kick off a section like this and open up the platform to anyone who always wanted to have their creativity published, whether it be writing, uh, illustration. We, we, we've seen some awesome truck illustrations um, come, come through and come across our desks as well. And, um, yeah, so, so Malcolm kicks it off um, with his one-page story, and I think it's a great read. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, this, yeah. I'm really, I was thrilled about this page. And, and when it, when something turns up, we'll run the page, mm. you know, and because if anyone that's masochistic enough to read 
you know, of my pieces that I write at times, I've often said that trucking is an art. The, the true great practitioners, they're artists. Yeah. It's not a science. You know, the Ray Fettys of the world, the Dunks's uh, from Brian Smith, um, you know, uh, Adrian at, at Lil Burns, you know, it's an art form to drive a truck yeah. well. And they're all, so many of them, like there's bloody wood burners, there's wood turners, there's... Yeah. Things they do in the yeah, in the, in the yeah, and so send it in the picture of what you've made, the poem you've written, the story, yeah, photo you've is. taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's um, because it's all about showing the rest of the world, you know, what what this bloody industry is what and the fantastic is. people that are in it. Oh, look, this month we're back into it again. Uh, we've had a bit of a break away. We um, uh, looked at uh, some significant scratch building there from um, uh, Marty and. Um, Doug and uh, we also looked at uh, um, Oslo models and everything like that. But this month we're back onto the uh, Ken Kirk uh, Mercedes Benz, the Pilkington Glass Mercedes Benz uh, project, and we're really starting to see it come together now. So yeah, we're on the home straight. The cab comes together in this issue, um, and then we're starting to look towards the finer details and uh, lettering and transfers and things. And yeah, we're, we're just about there. She's uh, not far to go now. So yep, uh, another step closer. And we get, we're going to build a trolley. Uh, well, we. <laughs> you are. You are. Yeah. You are. We're yeah. going to. Yeah, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. We're going to do a little bit of scratch building once it's done. We've all decided that it um, absolutely it needs a three axle semi behind it to um, depict what it really did look like back in the day. And um, yeah, so that'll be the next stage. But um, yes, completion of the tractor unit first and um, on to the trolley. Okay, so there's a Highway Replicas Max Superline in Northern Territory Freight Service, and Captain K looks at it and goes and says, and he got a bit of prompting from a certain <coughs> person in the South Island who <laughs> yeah. lives, in, lives in Mochawaka, who, won't, who will remain nameless, Craig McCauley. Um, and, uh, and he got tempted into saying, why not make that model look like the Neville Dobbs Northern Territory Freight Service uh, Blue Thunder? Mac that won the Australian New Trucking Life Rig of the Year. And so Captain K has taken the Highway Replicas Mac Superliner and it's almost finished and rebuilt it as Blue Thunder. And it is it is to behold, everybody. We will do a story yep. on it when it's done. Yep. Which... Once it's finished. Yeah. Yep. No, we, we, we showed a little bit of a hint of it a few months back now, or a year or so ago now. Was, we started it in lockdown. It was sort of, it was a bit of a lockdown sort of a... Um, uh, challenge, I suppose, and everything like that. But um, yeah, no, it's one of those things that it had to be done. I mean, when you when should they... see it alongside the standard <laughs> kit when they're nose to nose, it's unbelievable. Oh, the subtle, the subtleties, mate. It's just, it's all in the detail. Okay, boys, that's it. Great magazine, we love it. Can you feel the passion, people, from these oh. people? <laughs> I live and breathe this stuff. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Keep on moving podcasts. You wanted to squeeze in the uh, Million Mile Club. Yeah, I just want to squeeze in the Million Mile Club. And uh, don't forget to send your entries in to uh, Gab or I, or editor at NZ Trucking and the subject line Million Mile Club. Uh, the fantastic uh, sort of new section of the magazine for trucks that have done 1.6 million Ks or more and still loved. And we're getting some fantastic some fantastic entries from trucks that are still truly well loved and just out there doing it at yeah. 1.1.0 million miles genuine. And we had to do a, uh, we just had to do that special one in the March issue. That was a heart rendering yeah. email uh, that I got uh, from Elizabeth Trudeau um, about her partner, um, Rob Milne, and uh, who had a truck that had done one point. Uh, one million miles and then he suffered a, a, a stroke and, and had a bit of a mishap and he's recovering and we wish him all the well 
Mm. And he's looking forward to getting back behind the wheel, but we had to put that in because that was a heart-rendering uh, email that we got. Yep, time for industry comments where we give the uh, industry uh, association leaders an opportunity to tell us all what they've been doing and and we sort of uh, prompt them with a subject. And like I've said before, we don't ambush them. We give them a good warning on what we're going to uh, tell them and it's their opportunity to... to uh, to tell us more about what they do, because that's been one of the big things from people is, you know, we don't know what they, a lot of the time, the, you know, the goals that they're kicking for us, the tr- let's hear what they're doing. So this month, uh, the question, we just wanted to touch base with them on the new road to zero uh, rebirth. And and uh, that was the main the main topic of conversation, but there was a bit more came through. And so we start off with uh, CEO of the New Zealand Trucking Association this time, his turn to go first, Dave Boyce. Well, we, we certainly support any efforts uh, to bring down New Zealand road toll. Um, you know, I'll state that. And we do a lot of work in road safety with our road safety truck, trying to get people to understand how to be safe on the road. But the fact is, New Zealand's road toll is stubbornly high. It's averaging over 300 deaths per annum. And our deaths per 100,000 people is one of the highest in the world, significantly higher than our neighbours in Australia, which makes you sort of wonder what they're doing different to what we're doing. Certainly one of the key focuses of the Road to Zero strategy, um, if you look on the website, lists out a whole, uh, their, their strategy, um, is road user choices. And we think it's time to put more effort into influencing road user choices. If you look in 2019, there was 352 road deaths. 137 deaths were alcohol and drug use related. 90 deaths were not wearing a seatbelt. Fatigue and distraction accounted for another 40 deaths. Combined, that's over 75% of the road deaths were a result of the road user choices. Tied in with that... Um, The government's currently reviewing the graduated driver licensing system, and we think it's time to put more emphasis on advanced skills-based training, including learning to drive to the conditions, a better understanding of the road rules with regular mandated updates, and an empathy and understanding for other and vulnerable road users. It's quite interesting when you look at what's happening in some of the other countries, like you know, Road to Zero is based on a lot of um, strategies from some of the Northern Hemisphere European countries and that. And if you look at likes of Norway and Finland and that, it takes you a couple of years to get your licence over there. And they do spend a lot of time uh, teaching you how to handle a vehicle and that, um, you know, skid pan driving and things like that. So you can actually handle adverse conditions. Um I don't think we spend enough time on that here. I think we spend too much time just focusing on getting a license and um, going from there. So certainly one of the other things that's concerning our members at the moment is um, Ministry of Transport recently released a discussion document, Driving Change, Reviewing the Road User Charges System. And this document poses 89 questions about the future structure and purpose of the road user charges system. And those questions include things like, should greenhouse gas emissions charging be included in road user rates? Should other fuel types be considered in the road user rates? Should ERUC be compulsory for all heavy vehicles? Should integrated telematics be mandatory? They're considering a review of existing infringements. And they're also asking the question, should enforcement authorities have access to this data, including enforcement of logbook requirements? So um, that's certainly sending a bit of a shiver through the industry at the moment. And uh, we'll certainly be commenting on that and uh, putting a submission on behalf of our members. So um, I'd uh, urge anybody who's got some thoughts on that to uh, provide feedback or um, 
instead of putting in your own submission. Certainly all the events that are going on around the world at the moment with what's happening in Europe and the Ukraine and uh, certainly what's happening in New Zealand with COVID and that, it's certainly putting our economy into a period of uncertainty. The substantial government debt, uh, rising interest rates and the rising costs of products and services and supply issues. I mean, diesel in New Zealand has gone up by over 50% since November. Um, That's just one of our uh, sources of costs for our industry. You combine that with an already tight labour market that's uh, putting upward pressure on labour rates. We think now with the borders reopening, it's probably time that the government should be looking at some of the immigration settings for truck drivers. Uh, Certainly our neighbours in Australia are um, doing everything they can to entice drivers from here over there. And um, we need to be looking at where we can source some as well. So um, the other thing that's concerning also is just the cumulative effect of the last two years' events is having an impact on mental health and fatigue in our industry. And many are struggling to, to cope. Truck crashes and serious health and safety incidents seem to be increasing again. And I believe that's got to be a concern for everyone. So, yeah, that's about all I've got to add today, Dave. Uh, we're moving on now to James Smith, COO of the National Road Carriers. He's back with us for his uh, monthly catch-up. How are you, James? Fantastic. Excellent. And we had a person-to-person catch-up while we both attended the uh, demonstration day at the Stanley Street Vehicle Safety Centre for the new mobile roller brake testing machines that will be deployed around the country. There's six of them. There's one per region for the four CVST regions and then two floating. Um, I thought that went really well that day. James, what did you reckon? Um, it, it did, Dave. Um, it was, um, I mean, they've been a long time coming these things yeah yeah uh, and I think it, it is actually good to see uh, see them uh, hitting the road and the the fact that they're the the same machine as what's used at the testing station I think that was one of the challenges we had with, with when the last time they had roller brake machines out on them out there they just weren't adequate they, they, they gave so much uh, they were unreliable and they gave inconsistent results. So the time, time will um, tell uh, whether these things um, you know, give the good, consistent results. But certainly, you know, looking at it the other day, and um, all, yeah, every hope is that they'll do that. Uh, the, the trick is going to be what do operators then do with with the information that's given to them uh, from from those machines, and, and yeah, and hopefully it leads to um, uh, you know, better maintenance practices and things like that. And we do see sort of a, a reduction over time in in roadside failures. The great things in terms of levelling the playing field in the sense that like there's some regions in New Zealand we pretty well wake up every morning and know the chances of one of the good lorries getting on a roller brake tester is zero. Oh yeah, and other yeah. areas of the country where you're passing them four times a day. That's right. Yeah. Well, currently there is a, there is a. Um, I mean, really, there's only Pongaroa that, that, from a uh, CVST point of view, that that we and so pretty much every operator that passes Pongaroa is getting a disproportionate um, and, uh, level of enforcement. But I think it also signals a, a change in CVST's approach, where they're going to be more anywhere, any any time approach, as opposed yes. to uh, clustering around the the traditional um, Weybridge sites. So that will be that will be interesting. Time will, again will tell as to how successful that strategy is. But yeah, because certainly, um, unless you were a container carrier in Auckland, you you never really saw a um, CV, CVST. I understand too that um, uh, I can't remember who I was chatting to. I think the the new Glass Nevin rebuild. There's a set going in there too. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was certainly they've, they've been on the on the 
Oh, gosh, I first went to a meeting and we were talking about them in 1999. Yeah. Um, for, for actual proper um, uh, CBST sites. So, yeah, here we are. That was a very long time ago. Uh, some of the listeners would not have even been born then. Uh, and, we, and we are still yeah. talking about it, and they're just rolling them out. Yeah. yeah, it's like number plate recognition cameras. I mean, we yeah, they were being tested out here in 1999, and here we are, 2022, and woohoo, we've got a couple. I mean, there'll be a lot of inf- there'll be a lot of discussion and talk and feedback and BS and good stuff talked about them and that. But like, as I said to someone at the demo, like it is still an incredibly easy industry to get into, and that's one of the great Achilles heels mm. of the industry for what it represents and what we do it's still really easy to get going and trucking. So if, if that's mm. how you want to make the startup, then you've got to, if it's easy to get going in, it's got to be hard to stay in. Yes. Yeah. To, there has to be, there has to be a, there needs to be a referee on the pitch. Oh, and yeah. I think that, 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 uh, you know, and it's interesting members, uh, we get more calls now from members complaining that they can't find a cop when, they, you know, yeah. when they, when they see something. Uh, and, and a lot of that is simply because of the whole, uh, COVID response, you know, there's so many offices have been diverted elsewhere. Um, that, you know, and, and you know, it's interesting, you know, what, what had changed to be getting calls saying, um, why are there no, no police pulling over trucks? Oh. Uh, which is quite, quite, a, quite an interesting um, change from uh, what it was probably, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Moving on to a similar theme subject, sort of down a similar path, but not sort of really, but sort of related in many ways is the um, road to zero. And a lot of uh, discussion around that in, in, in recent weeks about the uh, about the the goals and aspirations of that. So we're about to we do NRC sit on on uh, road to zero. There's no argument that the only acceptable target for killing people on the road is zero. Yep. Um, you, you know, no one wants to be the be the person that um, you know, is the one. If you say, um, "Oh, the the target's going to be one," well, you know, pick pick who it's going to be. So the only acceptable target is zero. I think the, the the tricky bit is is in how on earth we're going to get to get there. Now, one of the good things about when you actually dig into the the guts of what's in behind the strategy is there are actually some stepping stones and some uh, targets that are that are loaded as as benchmark as we move forward. And one of them, of course, the, the first one is that forty percent reduction below twenty eighteen levels. Now that target is probably very achievable, um, but it is going to require uh, more than just lowering a couple of speed limits to to, to achieve that. It's going to require significant investment in uh, in, in roading improvements because there's just too much of our network where the smallest mistake results in in, um, in serious injury or death. Yeah, uh, and as and as vehicle kilometre travel increases, uh, the chances of that mistake turning deadly increases because the roads just aren't up to the, to the volume of traffic that, they, that they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, so in a nutshell, we support the aim. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is a worthy target, uh, but we will be, um, you know, looking for real investment from the Crown uh, into other things other than just simply lowering speed limits. If you think of the, the roading infrastructure as a great and if you okay, so um, this is a, a bizarre analogy, but you'll get we'll get there in the end. Um, it's a so the roading infrastructure is a great. Um, currently, it is actually looking a bit like a current. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've sweated the heck out of it. Right? Yeah. So we need to we need to plump it back up. You know, get to Sultana Raisin, and then back to Great. Uh, and I think it's one of the problems with the and it, you 
it goes goes right back decades of mm. underinvestment. This is this has been coming for a very very long time, and I think yeah you know, we've we've got to look at um, you know thinking ahead of what what is what does the economy need, and I, I think we've made this point before, Dave, that it doesn't you know the whole. Uh, decarbonisation thing. I mean, an electric truck needs a good road just as much as a diesel one does. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to need we're going to need decent roads for for decades to come, uh, and the sooner they acknowledge that, the better. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and 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 yeah, that's right, and and for me, the other big one, and this is look directly results from the fact that the first thirty years of my working life was I worked for an autocracy, so that tends to be where I go. Is that you know mm-hmm. we do not we do not respect as a people, what we have in the way of personal mobility, you think of the world's resources that are put into how we choose to move around personally compared to so much of the other of the world's population who don't even know where the next meal's coming from. And we have this incredible device and all this infrastructure just to cart us around for our, for our whims and wants. And so that needs to be policed. You need to understand the privilege that personal mobility at this level is. And if you think that you're going to jump in your double cab ute and put your wrap sunglasses on and do 120 kilometres an hour in a 70 kilometre hour zone, you will get absolutely banged yeah. for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you will. And I think we are going to see probably maybe as early as June, um, you'll see where the government's going to go on um, on fines, offences and penalties. Uh, because I think you know, that, that that does need to change. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they approach um, things like uh, you know, people that can, just can't afford fines. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's the other thing, because that's the other reality. Um, there's a, you know, and yeah, this, this whole thing is going to pro- bring up uh, Many, many, many uh, social questions uh, as as they go through the go yeah. through it. Um, well, the, well, the, yeah. well, the best way to the best way to pay your fine is don't incur it. Yes, oh, in fact, there was an old there was a road policing manager, and we won't say who he was because he's retired now, and he's a, he's a hell of a nice guy. But he he used to stand up at me and say, "It's a voluntary. You don't have to take part." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when when people used to accuse accuse him of um, revenue gathering, and yeah, you know, and he said, "Well, yeah, it's voluntary. You don't yeah. have to take part." Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so I think you know that that, that and that, that that's a point that I think needs to be yeah, needs to be remembered. Um, and, and I think and as one much of the... as, as sorry, as much as we don't, yeah, as much as we don't like being told what to do, uh, and, and hasn't there been a bit of that this year? Um, that, <laughs> As much as much as people don't like being told what to do, sometimes you actually got to step back and go. Well, actually, maybe it is. Maybe it is actually the right thing to um, to do. Oh, um, oh, I mean, absolutely. And and uh, I've I've written a number of editorials around the subject as well. And um, one of the things I think needs to be looked at too is that it, in the terms of the balancing act, is there's there is no like I think. I think your record should speak for itself, you know? So if you've done really well and you've mm. gone five years without a roadside traffic ticket and a cop catches you doing 58 kilometres an hour in a 50 kilometre an hour zone, then look at the person's yeah. record, you know? Oh, if, yeah, had, that's If you've right. had 20 yeah. speed camera offences and eight roadside tickets yeah. and you're always just on the cusp of losing your licence with demerits, mm. then, then nah, you know? But if you've yeah. Yeah. done, yeah. You've, yeah. if it's obvious you've done your best to do your very best and you've been caught out by, you know, getting distracted and all of a sudden the car's doing 60 and a 50 and the cop pings you. If he's done nothing in the last 10 years, look yeah. at that. Look at oh, that. That's right. And I think, you know, because 
well, I call them Pink Floyd moments. Uh, yeah, momentary lapses of reason. Yeah. Everybody has them. <laughs> yeah. you know, momentary lapses of reason. You yeah. know, I think the you a smart system would be able to differentiate between a Pink Floyd moment and a someone that just doesn't give a crap. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that that's where that yeah again if we if we head down the evolution because we're still doing enforcement as they did when the when the when the horse was around the old catch yeah. and chase. Uh, yep. Chasing cats, rather, and, and and that's got to change. Otherwise, you're never going to get that fundamental cultural because there's simply just not enough cops out there to to to, to do it. Well, when you um, look at the electronics, so, yeah, look at the electronics we put in trucks nowadays. You know, if a, yeah. if an electronic device in your car was part of your COF and it just recorded all your speed events, how how difficult is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's a very yeah that would be a very interesting one um, to get across. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think society's ready for it yet. Um, yeah, it's the old thing, uh, isn't it? Yeah, we want no death. That's right. Shit, we don't want to go that far. Yeah, we exactly, want to, we yeah. want to reserve it, it, our right little, to speed. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah. bit like the public transport debate, Dave. The public transport debate. Everyone wants public transport, but no one wants to use it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's for other people to use. So I, I've got better roads to drive my car on. Uh, so yeah, so it is. It's, it's an interesting uh, debate, um, and and I think it's all it, it is part of part of growing up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, and, you, and you look, and you look at, um, yeah, and again, it's it's as as we get more people in, in New Zealand, which we, which we're going to have to get because we've run out of people. Um, you know, things become more more congested. Yep, yep, that's exactly. And it's interesting when I talk to young people in particular, and they talk about how fantastic autonomous vehicles will be, and blah blah blah. And I and I say to when they come because they sort of got this weird mindset that they're just around the corner, like next Tuesday sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and but I always say if they did come. If they were here, if this if this mobility device that you that you so want, it's not going to speed. It will never no. speed. You will never no. make it speed. So so you know when people talk to me about the electronic device control of your car, it's a get used to it thing because autonomous vehicles will never break the law. No, no, but I think the early point you made is they are a very very long way away. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, that's... Especially, especially, especially in New Zealand. Yeah, um, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we just yeah the our yeah rating infrastructure and all that sort of stuff is yeah yeah we're a long way away from from from, from actually them being a reality. Yeah, and that that I think needs to be spelled out because I think a lot of yeah there are elements within even within government that think oh technology is going to save the day. No, um, right. Yeah, and, and it, it's yeah. It it, yes, it can do, but it's in a different way. It's, it's putting gonna, it in the it's yeah. In the it's gonna it's gonna help. Yeah, yeah, it'll help, but it won't. It won't. It, it's not the it's not the silver bullet. There are no silver bullets, and I think um, that was one thing that Minister Wood said at the briefing uh, in Wellington was there's no silver bullets on this thing. Yeah, um, and, and 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 he's right. I mean, if there was a silver bullet, somebody would have fired it years ago. <laughs> yep. 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 No. Nah, oh, well, that's excellent. Thank you very much, uh, James, for on oh, no, Held you up for quite a while this month, but that's it's, it's such an emotive and interesting and discuss and discussiony subject. Oh, it is. And there's, but gosh, there's so much happening. And I think one of the the the, the thing we'd probably leave with is is um, we've got to get back to where we tolerate people more. Um, you know, the, and I think this whole um, COVID response has just led to to far too much um, divisiveness and and. Um, and people, you know, just the hate that, that's come out is, is it's out of control. Cool. Thanks, James. That was uh, uh, fant- 
fascinating. And yeah, we did have a great day at the uh, at the introduction and the demonstration for the role of brake test machines. Uh, that was a, that was a really good display and lots of discussion points there. Uh, third, third, and uh, equally as famous as the other two, and certainly not last, and certainly not least, is CEO of Iara Aotearoa Transporting New Zealand, uh, Nick Lee. Yeah, well, look, we've we've been working on this for a couple of years now. I mean, they they're very good at relaunching things, the government, um, <laughs> but the, the, the stuff's been round for for quite a while, and you know, we actually agree with the intent uh, of road to zero. I mean, it is about reducing deaths and serious injuries on our road. And of course, the trucking industry has to be completely engaged on that um, because the road is our workplace. So from that perspective, I think that uh, it's a positive thing. We, we agree with the objective. But what we don't agree with, obviously, is just this idea that really the biggest thing that you can do is reduce speeds. We think actually you should maintain the roads we've got and build newer, safer roads. Um, and the other, I suppose, philosophical challenge that I have with Road to Zero is if you look at those adverts that are now on social media and TV, the, the family hitting the median barrier, and then all of the, 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 the work people and um, getting out of the car saying, well, we put the median barrier in and we saved your life. There wasn't one aspect of that ad that related to driver responsibility. And, you know, we're with um, Greg Murphy on this, Dave, and that is that actually train drivers, um, get drivers uh, to build their awareness, keep them up to date with, uh, you know, the best sort of safety and driving techniques, and you will improve and lower accidents and deaths on our road. And there is no mention of this in Road to Zero. I mean, Road to Zero quotes Sweden. You know how they love Scandinavia. It's, it's, they see Scandinavia as being the place we should draw all our inspiration from. Um, and, you know, there are some good, there are some great things about Scandinavia. But, it, you know, they talk about Sweden. And, you know, Sweden's got, I think, eight times as many expressways as New Zealand, but only twice the population. Its top speed is 120 kilometres an hour. They've invested in roading in ways that we haven't. They've invested in infrastructure in ways that we haven't. So the idea that you can compare us to any foreign territory and think we're going to get the same results is incorrect. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm skeptical on on how much, you know, slowing down speeds, slowing down our economy as a result of slowing down speeds is going to work. You know, they used State Highway 6 between Blenheim and Nelson, you know, which they slowed to, uh, you know, a year ago. They said, oh, they've been, you know, we've reduced, you know, deaths and serious injuries. Well, for goodness sake, it's only been a year. Um, that's not long enough to get any, you know, any idea of, of, of or, or demonstrate any evidence that lowering speed saves lives. You know, our view about that is if you look at the Napier to Topol Road, State Highway 5, which we've, of course, been very uh, heavily involved in, in fighting the uh, speed limit reduction, um, the... Uh, there, they improve maintenance. They, they put millions of dollars into maintenance after our campaign alongside the Hastings District Council and, and AA and others. And they in increased policing. And we saw that, that 10 deaths in, I think, in the previous 18 months went to, went to nothing, you know, and that went, went to no deaths um, over, the, you know, the, the, over the following year period. To me, it just shows if you put some effort in, if you focus your attention, you can reduce deaths and serious injuries. You don't have to slow down speeds. Yet, they still want to do it on that road. They're now 
they focused on Northland, although I did hear from Waikakotahi, the transport agency, they paused their speed slowing in Northland because of the reaction they've had on State Highway 5 in the Hawke's Bay. So, you know, people ask me often, well, what does the industry do? What, do the, what does the industry association do? What does transport in New Zealand do? We work on this stuff and we often do it for years in advance, but most people only get their attention drawn to it when it comes out into the media. And uh, look, it's the same with Road to Zero. I found, uh, I found a, a, a media comment that we did about two and a half years ago, you know, on the Scandinavian comparisons, on the fact that they've got faster, better roads than us and they've lowered their, their speed, you know, their, their, their death toll and injuries. That's where New Zealand should be putting the money. That's what the industry will keep fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. And I've often said in editorials about, you know, how do you know a speed limit doesn't work when you're not enforcing it? Yeah, well, that, exactly. You know, like, you know, 100 kilometres an hour didn't work. Well, it doesn't matter what it is, won't work if no one's out there. Admittedly, I agree. I understand I was raised in an autocracy in terms of the working environment for the first 30 mm. years, but... But we do not, for me, we do not place enough emphasis on what a privilege personal mobility at the level we have it at compared to so many other people in the rest of the world, some who don't even know where the next meal's coming from, and that's not enforced through you. Will, you will respect this privilege because if you decide to flaunt it, we will drop on you like an anvil. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, and then tie in Greg and then tie in, you know, get the playing field looking right, i.e. the roads. You know, I just can't understand the the point in putting up millions of dollars worth of guard railing on a road that's poked. Like, this is it. Well, look, because <laughs> I think we've talked about this before, Dave. The <laughs> ultimate aim of the thinking behind Road to Zero, and that's not I'm not talking about the people who are running the policy or you know things like that, but but the ultimate political aim is to get people out of their cars. So they they don't want to they don't want to make roads faster. They don't want to improve the experience of travelling along a road because they ultimately want to discourage people out of their vehicles, encourage people out of their vehicles. You know, I don't know if in, in, in most provincial and rural parts of New Zealand how they what they think the alternative to that is. Um, it obviously hasn't been invented yet. But the, the ideological aim here is they are against personal choice and personal mobility. And we can't forget that in this debate. Um, and you're right about the fact that it is a privilege to have a license and drive a, drive a vehicle. Um, but, you know, our country depends on it. Economically, yeah. we depend on it. Uh, you know, we need to move people and goods around. And that's, I think, where the industry can align with the general public far more because, you know, everybody depends on roads in New Zealand, whether yeah. it's even if you never drive a car, how does you how do your groceries get to your supermarket? Exactly. Um, you know, this is and this is the this is our aim as a as an association is to keep drawing these relationships. Taking that analogy, the trucks versus the cars, and the trucks are a need, and the cars and uh, are a proportion of needs and a proportion of wants. Then, then there's technically nothing stopping us uh, moderating the car's ability to do what it does in the same way we can do with trucks. Right. Well, by God, I bet if they put a thing in front of Parliament saying your cars are all going to be seized, speed limited, that'll be the last term they yeah. ever served. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and we've seen it, this played out more broadly in New Zealand and the world. You know, how much do we want government to make choices for us? And, you know, how much do we want government to, to regulate? And, and, you know, we're having this debate now and we've raised, the first thing we did when we got back 
uh, in the new year was raised with uh, Michael Wood, the Transport Minister, and asking him to have powers on hand to be able to respond if Omicron begins to bite with the trucking industry, not just with the industry itself, but all out those supporting services that keep our trucks on the road. And that's been listened to uh, certainly by him. And the one thing that we talked about is actually if we lose a whole lot of drivers, and we, you know we're beginning to see that in Auckland, you know with absentee rates being between 10 and 20 percent um, as a result of the Omicron outbreak, that if we if we if we lose drivers in a big way, um, we need to be able to look at things like uh, greater tolerance on weights and greater tolerance around drive, um, driving hours. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm really pleased to sort of report that I think we're going to get some progress on that. It's not about letting everybody go for it. It's about if we need to carry more on a truck because there are fewer drivers and fewer trucks being able to be on the road, to keep the supply chain going, to keep people fed and watered, you know, we need to... we need. The, the regulators to understand that, and I'm, and that's something that Transporting New Zealand has fought for. We will continue to fight for it. It's the sort of thing that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, and often it goes unheard. But I think it's really important to recognise. And you know, some people in the industry have said, "Oh, what about safety?" It's not about compromising safety. A lot of these rules are not based on I mean, the work time rule is not based on safety. Um, there are tighter rules internationally. It's it's about you know managing the risk and putting in place things that allow you to do that in your business. And so we're hoping to sort of have some sort of announcement on this in, in, in you know, the next sort of while. Um, and it's, it's just important that we are working with the regulators to get the best deal for industry at this time, because things are going to get much tighter. They're already tight for a lot of operators and a lot of drivers in the industry. And what we want is for drivers to have as little pressure as possible as they go about delivering critical freight at a time of significant national stress. Yep, that's exactly right. And that all ties back into road to zero and, you know, stressless driving and that's right. Da, 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 da. And yeah, just, hey, touching on the point before, and that's what these forums are all about. One of our big goals with these forums and all of the media vehicles that we have is so that you guys can tell the people what you are doing on a regular basis so that there's a better understanding at the ground roots of what you guys are actually, the fights you're fighting. It's a, I appreciate that very much, yep. Dave. It's, it's, it's important because the challenge we've got, because I'm based, we're based in Wellington, our, our main office, although we do have people around the country, um, a lot of what we do, the way Wellington works, is a bit mystical, um, it's, even to me. Uh, and um, it's a lot of the time, it's about having a conversation with an official at a government department before the problem actually rears its head. Yep. And so we spend a lot of our time fighting those fires before they come into an, before they turn into an inferno. Yeah. And um, and trying to 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 think about and you know get in front of problems and try and work out solutions as well. And that's um, yeah, it's, it is hard to communicate that. So we really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and 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 get some of that across. Yep, fantastic. And. Uh... No, that's really great, and yeah, we're here for for exactly that purpose. Anytime you need us, as goes with all of the uh, representative bodies, um, and uh, you'll get more traction by telling more people what you're doing. Thanks, Dave. If you've got a question you want me to pose to the industry players, uh, send it to my burgeoning email inbox at dave@nztrucking.co.nz uh, uh, and put in the subject line "question for the associations podcast." And, uh, yeah, we'll have a vet through them and we'll pick out a good one and, and we'll put it to the guys. You know how they have storage facilities in the middle of deserts, you know, with all this data. 
You no, like, your, you your, mean your, bre- breweries? No, I'm not talking breweries. I'm talking oh. about your email. It's sitting. Oh. In, it's got its own desert somewhere, Dave. Sure. We're not sure where though. I tell you what, if Vlad Bob's one of the cloud servers, I'm bugging. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, another action-packed. Keep on moving podcast. Now, if you missed any detail, I'll put all the information in the show notes, which you'll find underneath this. But if you like the show, even if you don't like the show, just leave us some positive feedback, please. <laughs> we're desperate for positive feedback. No, actually, we, we, it's incredible uh, how far we spread. We, we're going to Africa. We go to England. We got a, a lot of people downloading us in Australia. But, of course, there's a huge customer base right across New Zealand. And we're very grateful for that. We are grateful for that. Um, Dave is very busy, but you can contact him anytime on that email server. We will see if we can fill up another desert with emails. Eh? <laughs> Other words, boys, Carl, nice to have you permanently in the team. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Buzz. That's yeah, no, looking forward to it, mate. It's uh, a big change, but um, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. Boots and all, mate. Boots and all. Let's go for it. Yeah, you know, you got a good signal. I'm glad you're sitting on the top of a hill somewhere. Yeah. And, and Gav, thanks again for your time too, mate. I know both you and Dave were up at three o'clock this morning, so I'm surprised you're not uh, sleeping somewhere. Well, we have been for the last hour. (laughs) 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 It's all been a dream, (laughs) Buzz. One more thing before we go, Dave has a business opportunity he would like to share with you from the accountants to New Zealand Trucking Media, Vasey Child. So what's going on there, everybody, is Vasey Child and Royal Arts' team leader for this, she heads it up, they are embarking, well, they've embarked on uh, an area of their business, a service that they provide where they come into your business and uh, assess the the systems and the software that you're using and ensure that you're getting the most out of it. It's delivering the KPIs to your business. It is doing for your business what whoever sold it to you, I would say, told you that it would do. They then cross that over against the goals of the business, uh, short, medium and long term, your own personal goals as the business owner maybe, and make sure that it's contributing to that outcome as well. The key here is... She's not selling anything to you. Uh, uh, Reliance and her team aren't coming in there with a with a with a something to sell to you. Their first and foremost thing is to ensure that what you have is working for you. And then maybe if it's not saying to you, well, you might need to look at something else with no bias on any one particular project. So, so it's a fascinating. You could you could talk to her for hours. And again, coming from a logistics background that I did, I. I sort of did in many ways. And so um, so how did the idea alliance come about for, for the service at Basie Child? Uh, yeah, thanks for that introduction. That was really nice. Uh, the idea, I would love to say that it was my idea, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, the directors at Basie Child sort of came up with a few things in, in the past few years around um, changing the business and doing business together and we'll sort of speak a little bit about the fact that business is just changing massively. 
I mentioned to you earlier, Dave, that um, there was there was somebody that once famously said that there was going to be 17 accountants left by the end of 2022 or something, and that's that's a really good idea of how business is actually changing. And although there are still a good need for accountants, we have massively changed uh, the way that we have to deliver our service to our clients. And so the idea sort of came about from that with the directors looking at what do we want to provide, who do we want our clients to be, and where do we want to get them. We've talked about our vision at Basie Child going about doing business together and ensuring people are reaching their goals and as a byproduct of that vision and those values that they're looking about, at about being innovative and responsive, the idea of this R&D system services team came about. Um, and so I was sort of the person there to deliver that. Right. That's excellent because I guess it, it's, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started the interview as well, about that colossal difference between working um, on your business and working in your business. And, and it's like you're a truck driver, you buy a truck, you know how to drive the truck, you know how to load it, you know how to get it from A to B. Um, you don't know necessarily how it works, and that's becoming more and more for even the old truck drivers, you know, like carrying a socket set's about as much use as, as, um, as a rolling pin now. And so it's the same with your, with your system software in your business, you know. It's, is it delivering what I want it to deliver? Every now and then you need the mechanic to come in and say, someone with your skill sets and, and critique it. Because that helps you at Basie Child in the long run. If you're getting the right numbers out of the business, your job becomes easier. Correct, it does. And it means that we can offer more valuable services at the end. Um, we'll also look at, you know, like you mentioned, when you're in logistics, you sort of do your things, you do your daily duties that you do every single day. And not a lot of people look at it and say, should I be doing this? And why am I doing this? Hmm. Um, so we'll also, you know, value stream a process and look at it and say, is every single part of that process actually delivering value to the customer? And the customer is not just your customer, but it's you as the mm. user or your accountant as the user. And so every single process actually has, they reckon, about 75% of waste yeah. at least. Um, a lot of them more like 95%. And a lot of that waste is compliant waste. Mm. But what we want to do is we want to get rid of any waste that's not compliant. Right. Like, so anything that you don't actually have to do, and then, and then also look at it and then say, well, what's, why do we do it? And then what's the outcome that you want? And then teach what that outcome is so that you get the best results from it. Yeah, so, so it's a bit of process analysis in there as well, isn't it? Correct. Because yeah. one of the things that you get in an economy where money's cheap is you get incredibly busy people because money's cheap. And so then time becomes the precious yeah. So if you're wasting yeah. time doing shit you don't need to and, be doing. Yeah, and people don't have that time when they're working in their business to look yeah. at that and say they just do their job mm. and, and they do it well. Um, and it's not about, uh, you know, getting rid of people or anything like that. It's about being really efficient and effective in what you're getting out of it. And I love the bit that you're not actually going in there with a product. No. Yeah. No. So we will go in and... Um, you know, it, you could have two businesses that are exactly the same, but they've got different goals, and so it could actually end up being two different, pro like two different products, side by side, but they're delivering two different things. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, as mentioned, you know, uh, if you've ever looked at new software for your business, you'll get hounded yeah. um, by these software developers, and um, they will promise you the world. Yeah. Uh, whereas we'll sort of look at it and we'll ask the hard questions and ensure that it's actually going to deliver 
what you want it to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So a few shekels spent with the likes of yourself could save a lot of heartache and many shekels going down the bin. Yeah. yeah. If, if if the layperson buys the buys the wrong product. So obviously, this type of service has been available to big hitters for 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 many years. You know, like the people that use colossal businesses that use colossal systems. But you guys have really found the thing where you you're pitching it at, at the people, the little people that don't have time, and making sure that that they get every bit of time back, and and their system sweats as hard as they are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely small small businesses, small to medium. Um, there's a few medium ones there for sure that we've we've delivered on. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's looking at those small businesses and helping them out. It's people that don't have the time to look at these things and they don't have the knowledge either. Right. Um, in house, you know, and, and that's where we'll step in and help them. So so what's what's your background? So you turn up at, at, at my business and and you're going to change the world. So what's your yeah, I mean, I could go on and tell you my CV, which would be, probably be very boring to everybody to listen to. Um, I am CA qualified, so I do have an accounting background, um, and I've been an accountant now for uh, God, a lot of years. Um, couldn't tell you that. Uh, but I think the main reason that I am qualified to do this job is uh, since I was Young, my parents have always owned businesses, and when I was 18 years old, I implemented an inventory management system in their business. Um, so I've always sort of been interested in, in how businesses work and, and, and what makes them tick and then what delivers, say, a profit. I also own two businesses of my own right now, um, um, uh, Transmission Mechanics and also Bow Builders in Hamilton. So that helps sort of, I'm not just there from an accounting side of things going, do this, do this, do this. I actually know what happens inside it mm. um, with my own employees and stuff as well. Uh, so that I think that's what qualifies me most to help people. Yeah, this is really interesting that when I said I did an inventory management system for my parents' pub when I was 18 and I did a report on it and it was actually more beneficial at that point in time to outsource the inventory of um, of the alcohol instead of do our own. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was more efficient and more cost-saving. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah. Um, a million-dollar question, did your parents implement your system? They did. Oh, good yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't have a choice, though. I remember yeah. being in a university <laughs> uh, lecture hall years and years ago, and the guy that facilitated the course stood up and said, the first thing I need to tell you is that uh, if you're embarking on this course to help someone who's nearest and dearest to you, then leave because the people who love you most will credit you the least with your education. Oh, I did get a lot of credit. Um, I'll, I'll definitely say that, but they didn't have a choice. I was doing it whether they liked it or not. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So I suppose the million dollar question is how's it going to date? And without uh, naming names, you can just say, you know, company X, give us a success story. Oh, okay. So uh, today it's going really well. Uh, the first, these first sort of days and doing not days of, um, We've been doing it now for uh, about 18 months as a full-time team. Um, our charter or our goal has always been that the client is happy at the end. Um, so is that being a measure of success? And we've been extremely successful so far because everyone's been extremely happy um, with the work that we're doing. Uh, a success story, uh, I think a good one is um, I implemented a system at another mechanics, um, so I know a bit about that, which is really great. But they, um, when I implemented the system, we looked at 
you know, what they wanted out of their profit. And after we implemented it, in the first year afterwards, we had the exact same turnover and the profit changed two and a half times up. Was, um, and that the reason that that happened was we actually taught them about changing their view from they were looking at gross profits or just money they were getting from something. And we changed that view and said, you actually need to look at what your profit per hour is, so profit per productive hour that's worked. And to do that, we had to implement the system so we could see what the profit per hour was and get all the time on it. And it changed the entire mind frame of the manager of the business and he was able to change and get two and a half times profit more. So, so were they, did they have an incumbent, did they have a legacy system that was there just managing, I don't know, mechanics like worksheets for job sheets or that needed replacing or did you so tweak were, one? Before, there... the, before the implementation, they were running zero, so just doing zero for their accounting um, and then they were just doing manual timesheets on paper um, and nothing was ever recorded against the job. So they had no idea at the time of any seen of any job either. They just kind of, they did quote every single job. That was the way that it worked. Um, so they kind of had an idea of what went in and said, oh, what will we make off this? Oh, yeah, we'll make a grand off this job or something. Um, and they didn't have any real science behind it. Because, like I say, these are small, medium businesses that, how should they know that? Like, this was a mechanic. Mm. He hasn't been trained in business. Mm. He, he's just like, oh, what? how much money is it way back, essentially, mm. you know? Um, mm. And so we did a lot of teaching on all of that sense as well. So a lot of education about what makes a business run. And I think that's a really big area of the change that's happened at Basie Child and that we are all about empowering our clients with knowledge so that they can make great decisions and that enables us to do really valuable things for them. Um, Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Empowering people's knowledge. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's very much it's interesting because the the, the march of technology in a business like yours, meaning the basic child role that you have, is very much the, the days of I took the books to the accountant and he did the books for the year. They're gone, isn't it? You have to be involved. Yes. You have, yeah. yeah, and I mean, if you're, if, I mean, there are still some people that that's what they do. They're just like, I just care about compliance, and yeah. that's it. But if you're serious about your business, mm. um. You need to look further than that, mm. uh, and and not just say look at your bank account. Mm. Um, look at how you're doing it, and what makes it tick, and mm. what's going to help you achieve those goals. And within that space, there could be a system that helps you get there. Or... Cool, excellent. No, that's a really interesting. Okay, so the million dollar question is: um, How do people get hold of you if they've listened, heard this and think, "Oh, yeah, I quite like the sound of that." She's not going to come and peddle something to me. She's just going to come and have a look and see what we're. Yeah, yeah. So the best way to get hold of me is probably to get um, in touch uh, through our website, yep. Basic Child at Home NZ, and you can ring the office or you can email me from there. You'll find all my details in the um, Meet the Team page. I yeah, yes. Yeah. So Basie is V A Z E Y yep. Child.co.nz. Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so that's the best way to get hold of me. And then just so you know, like from there, if, if you're getting in touch, I'm not going to say charge you the second I talk to you. Um, it's like we come in, we talk about it, we look at it, and it's, it could be nothing. There's no obligation at that point. You know? So there's a no obligation chat? Yeah, 100%. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. That's, re- that's interesting. What a fascinating, I could keep talking on, uh, like I say, with a bit of 
background from a previous life, I could keep talking on this sort of subject for hours. But uh, So there you have it. So the name is Royal Aunts Watson at Vasey Child, vaseychild.co.nz, and uh, ring up and have a chat for no obligation, and, and she won't send your bill for a yarn. Thank you. Okay, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Keep on moving. Uh, great to have you here. Thank you.